Hello and welcome to the Back Page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, we're joined by another special guest. Our guest this week is Dave Scarborough, former features editor on GamesTM and Xbox One magazine, X1 magazine rather, where he's a deputy editor until he ran it into the ground. He's now working <laughs> on the game Nightingale by Inflection, which is headed up by Aaron Flynn, formerly of Bioware. Dave, how's it going? I just wanted to make that run into the ground joke in advance so people know that you and I have quite an informal um, sort of repartee. Uh, but how are you doing? Oh, I was doing fine until you said that. Honestly, that was uh, <laughs> just came out of nowhere, though. No. Uh, yes, I certainly did run into the ground. I'm doing good. Um, how are you both? <laughs> yep. Okay. Yeah, I've had about five hours sleep, so sort of precarious. Matthew just saw... Uh, what did you see last night, Matthew? Uh, Lost in the Stars, a Chinese thriller at the Bath Film Festival. Yeah, so you oh, know, wow. just sort of doing our respective things, basically. I was reading comics in bed. Matthew was doing that. Pretty uh, happening uh, Saturday night. Uh, what have yeah. you been up to, Dave? <laughs> Uh, on point, I was reading the uh, Joanna Robinson book about the making of the MCU, which is uh, which is kind of fascinating. Digs into a lot of details of the production on the various films. Yeah, as yeah. In, sounds sounds very cultured, obviously, you know. But yeah, as I say, <laughs> very on brand for me. Yeah, the funny thing about that is I had that book because um, Spotify does like a certain number of hours of free audio book now. And I listened to that book until I ran out of free hours. But the good thing is it's just got to like phase four. And so they've run out of good Marvel films anyway. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I can, st- I can stop listening to the book at this point. That's fine, actually. So that's it, it, all right. So you tuned out about the same time you just stopped watching the films? Basically, yeah. Like we got to like She-Hulk and I was like, well, you know, I sort of like, I, I, I didn't watch this and I forgot to watch um, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So I can, I can move on with my life. Is, um, is it yeah. Joanna Robinson doing the audiobook? No, she does like an intro bit for it, but then it's like some some rando dude. So I'll it's, ask uh, it. Well, cause otherwise, it would it would might just sound like a pod. You're listening to another ringer podcast. Yeah, but which I was actually fine with. That's part of why I listened to it. I thought, oh, oh, okay, right. this would just be just be the thing I listen to all the time. But uh, yeah, alas, it's a good book though. It's uh, got some interesting behind the scenes details. You can tell she like maybe struggled to get sort of like super hot more recent directors and stars to talk about it but she's got a couple of producers who like you know spill the tea as it were that's the first and last does, time you'll ever hear that on this podcast by the way does does she uh explain what happened with edgar wright and ant-man does anyone know that yet yeah that's dave do you want to talk about that that's, that's like the best chapter isn't it uh yeah that's probably the best chapter because i think that's one of the more unknown areas of sort of marvel history like what what occurred there because he was working it, it turns out he was working on that film for something like 10 years and there was various sort of back back and forth different producers involved and essentially when um he he, he had a version of the script that was about six years old or, or something something like that and um it was way before the all that connectivity uh between the various characters and films right. was sort of insisted upon or really to be fair to marvel they hadn't realized when they initially brought Edgar Wright on board that that's what they were going to do with these films. And so by the time it came to the production, um, or getting ready for production for Ant-Man, they were like, well, this has to tie into Civil War. It has to sort of make reference to things that have occurred in the uh, in the previous films. And rather underhandedly, they hired a uh, another screenwriter, uh, unbeknownst to Edgar Wright, and he rewrote the screenplay to include you know various elements from other films and Edgar I just said I'm not having that walked away made Scott Pilgrim uh, oh, right. or did he make Scott Pilgrim no he made Baby Driver after that and then Paul Rudd and Adam McKay um, Adam McKay of Don't Look Up I don't know why I said probably the the least popular of the, of the three uh, 
mature films he's made but yeah the one about the money the one about the vice president makes those ones uh, vice and big short yeah that's the ones and uh <laughs> gosh that really does make me say sound like a layman who only knows marvel movies <laughs> <laughs> he came along and rewrote the script and and then yeah they just hired peyton reed to to direct it and a uh, far superior director I, I think we'll all agree oh so, absolutely uh, yeah <laughs> Uh, so yes, okay. Um, that's uh, you know like a good segue, I suppose, into the subject of this episode, which is about Marvel Spider-Man Two. It's just released on PlayStation Five. It's the big PS Five game for the year. Dave is a big uh, superhero head, and um, Matthew has finished the game. Dave has finished the game. I have not uh, because I'm pathetic. And I chose to watch Silence by Martin Scorsese instead for another <laughs> podcast we did. That's what? my life there. Um, embarrassing, really. Um, but it's going to be good. Dave and I used to work together. We, uh, you know, I, I, Dave's one of my best friends. Just to be uh, give people a bit of context, so we are, you know, we've got like a, we've known each other for years and got a bit of history. So I think it's going to be fun to have you on, Dave, to talk about this. Then we'll transition to Spider Man in section two. Again, reading out the uh, sort of podcast plan on the air as a form of <laughs> entertainment. Great stuff. So, Dave, why don't you tell us a bit about your games media career? Didn't you get started writing for Empire? Uh, yeah, kind of. So, I think it would be a surprise to no one who who knows me that my interests were more into movies than games. Although I played a lot of games, it was a, you know a, a sort of formative pastime of, of my youth. And um, uh, yeah, so I, I was kind of writing stuff for blog sites uh one called heckless Bray, where i met uh, another fellow imagine alum uh ian dransfield and um yeah i was just doing film reviews trying to like sneak into press screenings it was it was i was like 20 years old and i think i got into a press screening at the imax at the dark night and that was like an incredible moment for me it felt like i'd sort of broken past like a vip barrier when you know as anyone who's been to those press screenings that you know aside from the movie they're, they're not that you know prestigious and affair but yeah i was doing a bunch of blog stuff and then i was trying to become a journalist essentially a film journalist and there was no jobs going around it was hard to sort of break in so i started writing about games uh on the side and then weirdly enough empire um accepted my uh internship uh application and i ended up doing a week there and james dyer who uh, was sort of like this fantastic sort of mentor for me. He uh, came over to me and I was just sitting there probably, I think I was probably just like licking stamps or something to send issues out to celebrities. She had like a big like address book of famous people in LA and you just had to like personally like slap the stickers on and send them <laughs> out to those. And anyway, he came over and said, oh, I hear you write about video games. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I do. And he said, oh, uh, can you write a preview for Iron Man 2 in the next hour so we can put it in the issue? And I was like, uh, okay, I haven't, played it and he's like okay well it's fine you know just just work it out and i'll fill in the blanks because i have and uh i did it and he came back to me and was like that was great do you want to write for us and i was like uh yeah like obviously that it, it brew my my little brain at the time and um, from then on i was just sort of freelancing for them going off to uh, various different industry events like e3 gamescom covering um you know various other sort of you know one-off press trips I think uh, the first one I did was for Final Fantasy Online, uh, Final Fantasy right. 14, right? 14. Yeah. Yeah, you're a, big, you're a big MMO guy and a big Final Fantasy guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely a crossroads of my interest there. Uh, I met actually day on that trip, actually, funny enough. And yeah, I got to meet people and I, then I started to get more work in uh, various different video game publications. And, um, and then eventually led my way to, to GamesTM when I applied for a staff writer position 
and uh, but yeah, Empire was fun. The good thing about Empire was that once you're kind of in the inner circle there, you kind of and you're trusted, and you know you're relatively personable, which I think sort of counts for a lot for them. Uh, they'll they'll just put you in front of celebrities as well. So I used to go to all of their movie cons and uh, the Empire Awards, and I used to chaperone various celebrities and you know just just help out with them and. Uh, that that was pretty cool. Just oh. like having to hang out with some with some famous people. Who's, who's the best celebrity you've chaperoned? Best celebrity I chaperoned. But if there's no bit of kayfabe with this, Dave, where you can't really talk about it, is that a thing? Oh no, no. They, they I, I won't talk about the things I won't talk about. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> there's, 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 there's definitely something I did that I that I wouldn't repeat on here. Uh, that sounds really bad. It wasn't. It's just I, you, you know, uh, there, there's just sort of certain certain things you, you you shouldn't do, like in terms of talking to people oh, and stuff. D- Dave, uh, before before you get into this, you'll appreciate this. So we had Simon Cardi on last week, okay, right? and we talked about. You know when um, I was at San Francisco in that bar with you, and then Josh Sawyer turned up. We told that story, but without the key detail that makes that story that story. Basically, <laughs> so, uh, but you know that story. I know. So I, I was sat there with you. you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. glad that we're still still bringing up this <laughs> annoyingly ambiguous story for the listeners. <laughs> I'll tell you offline, Matthew. It's fine. Uh, oh wait, you you know now, Matthew, don't you? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, basically, there was a big celebrity at one of these uh, events, and I went and spoke to them, which was a bit of a no-no. But uh, they were the, the person was very gracious, and I was sort of a little bit, you know, caught up in the moment. Um, but but there we go. That's that's what the story was. Uh, but um, and you feel free to cut that because it's not that interesting. Me telling you of a non-story. But uh, did you talk to who, whoever this person is? Did you talk to them about Pillars of Eternity? I think you did, right? Like no, no, no. I can talk about that one. I'm happy oh, to okay. talk about oh, yeah. that. That one's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay. But anyway, that wasn't someone I chaperoned. In terms of chaperoning, um, I chaperoned Rich D. Grant, who uh, oh. was a little spicy, but was okay. <laughs> I chaperoned Jonathan Ross, who, oh. you know, was okay. You know, nice, nice enough. He's, he's a gamer, right? Well, I, this is the thing. I was like, oh, I hear you're a subscriber of Retro Gamer, I've been told. And he went, am I? And I was like, oh, okay. And that was pretty much the, the interaction I, I had with him. Uh, but, Great story. Uh, but his his wife, Jane Goldman, acclaimed screenwriter, uh, was fantastic. I, I chatted to her for a long time and their daughter. And who else have I chaperoned? Oh, Ellie Goulding was the, was the best one, weirdly enough. She was just... I mean, I, I'm a dweeb. And, you know, being able to hang around with someone like Ellie Goulding, who's just, like, chatting with you, just being really sort of funny and... Um, you know, kind of interested in 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 who you are is kind of a bit rare when when you have these celebrity encounters. And uh, mm. I remember at one point she was like, "Oh, can I hold your arm as we walk around just to give you some balance?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." So I was just walking around this event, arm in arm with Ellie Goulding, oh, and I'm just like, I just melted. I, 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 <laughs> you have a lot of anecdotes like that, though, Dave. Not all of them are appropriate for the air, but you know, you, <laughs> you've got stories like that coming out of the Wesu, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the. Um, there's there's this thing that I read many, many years ago, which was a quote from Brian Cranston, which is that um, as he became more famous, he he became aware that there needs to be a curfew uh, for him and, and other celebrities because you go to an event like like one I'll be at, like the Empire Awards. And, you know, he said, you know, seven or seven, eight p.m. people being very friendly and they may just sort of brush past you and be like, oh, Brian, I really, you know, uh, loved your performance in... Um, uh in breaking bad um you know have a good evening you know that sort of thing very brief encounter you know very pleasant and he says you know but you get past 10 p.m and that's when someone from like 100 yards across the room will go 
Fucking Heisenberg, come over here! They just like grab him round the neck, and, and and then he said, as soon as one person does it, it's it's a free for all, and you just can't enjoy right. your evening. And he's like, I, and he was like, you know, I appreciate the, you know, the the feelings that people have for me, you know, and you know, the the, the people want to talk to me, but you know, once I've had a few drinks, it it, it gets a, a little too much, and I have to exit. So he says, I have a nine thirty cutoff, and I leave. And um, you think. You think, though, that they'd be in a room with so many famous people that it would dilute that because you'd be like, there's 200 people I could drunkardly shout at here. And so it would sort of spread the pain amongst them. Absolutely not. If there, if there is, because what you see is there's like a hierarchy of celebrity at these events. Right. And so, like, if you're on the, the sort of upper echelons of that, then you're like a lightning rod. Like, you just attract everything towards you. So um, the, the, the one, the, the, the sort of a... A weird one that I had was I was I was um, yeah at an Empire Awards after party and um, usually at these things the celebrities sort of go off in a in sort of a corner uh, which is sort of a a, a VIP area that, that's not really roped off but that's that's where you I remember just seeing like a whole bunch of people like Simon Pegg and Andy Serkis and a few others just all just sat together and no one really disturbs they're in, they're in a corner so usually they're not sort of mingling with you know the publicists and the marketing people and you know the the hangers on who managed to get a ticket through a friend you know they're all in like a different area of the party just getting you know drunk on free booze and and, and whatnot and um much to my surprise, I remember seeing um, Henry Cavill just stood at the bar in, you know, this this more sort of uh, relaxed area. And um, he's just on his own and he's just sort of standing there and um, looking into the crowd, smiling. Honestly, like some, sometimes I was like, he looks a bit lonely, you know, maybe, maybe just needs a friend. So I, um, <laughs> I'll, I wander over to Henry Cavill, who's a hulk of a man. Like, I, I yeah. you know, we're, we're three big lads, but like he he's a big lad like he's he's got some density um and uh i was drunk and um i said to him uh this was gosh i can't remember sam you're a you're 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 a snyderverse guy uh it, it was just before batman versus superman came out so i don't know when that would be yeah 2015 16 kind of time yeah yeah and i um i just went up to him and was like um oh hey man like uh How's Batman versus Superman? Like a real bad opening gambit, honestly. But uh, and, and he was like, I can't talk about that. He was just so disinterested. He literally just turned away and just sort of faced the bar and drinking. I was like, oh, okay, okay. And then I, I, I kind of like, I'm not proud of this. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I write for Empire. You know, just, just trying to like get, get an opening. And he, and he was just kind of like, oh, okay, cool. I was like, yeah, I write about the video games. And I'm not joking. He swung round 90 degrees so fast and grabbed me by the shoulders. And he went, have you been playing Pillars of Eternity? <laughs> and I'm like, I just go, uh, well, yeah, I hadn't. I hadn't played that game. <laughs> but you know, like, I've, I've got him. He's looking at me deep in the eyes. And, he, you know, those giant hands are, you know, clasped around me. So I just lied. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, obviously. And he's like, I'm just playing it in my trailer all the time right now. And he's like, I absolutely like And he just starts like, you know sounding off various like aspects of the game at me and i'm just nodding like oh yeah absolutely that that absolutely magnificent moment henry did just loved it loved it and we're talking for about 10 15 minutes about this stuff and uh we start getting into sort of like um isometric rpgs you know going going back to the classics and then and, and sort of moving to the more sort of modern rpg stuff and at this time and there's many levels of shame to this story but at this time i just started <laughs> uh working for Koch media um, and Koch Media has all these sort of various distributing deals across uh, 
um, across across Europe, and I was privy to uh, the maybe I shouldn't mention the name, but I was I was privy to the release of an unannounced major RPG that was on the horizon, and right. um, and so you know I've got Henry, he's like enraptured by by me at this point, so I so I say to him, uh, Henry, I've got some good news for you. This new game in a very popular franchise that we've just been talking about is going to get announced this year and it'll be out uh, in October. And he just looked at me, just like overcome with excitement, clenches his fist and starts banging him on the table next to us and screams in the middle of this party, fucking yes! (laughs) Everyone looks over. And then his, and he's like, that's so exciting. And then his publicist ran over and said, come on, Henry, I think it's time we should leave he just got he just got dragged out of there and i was like oh my god like i just made angry gavel just like have like this incredible like over like moment in in the middle of this party uh and then a a, a friend from empire came over and uh called me a star fucker and uh laughed and uh but but and this is and i've told sam this before i credit myself as being the guy that broke the news that henry cavill was a big gaming nerd yeah i i feel like i i set that trajectory from that moment (laughs) because i then told the editor the one of the editors at empire that uh henry cavill's a big pillars of eternity player and they put that in the next issue as sort of like things we found interesting henry cavill plays pillars of eternity that that became a thing and then i think obsidian saw it and then like started talking about it and then it just sort of you know grew out from there so i'm just saying i i I don't think if if it wasn't for me you know he would never have been yeah. Geralt. This, yeah. Is, this is like my story about how I brought Twin Peaks back. And it's like not really, ac- <laughs> it's not really, not it's not really accurate. But like, I feel like that's more tangible. Uh, well, I guess so. But then I, <laughs> I, inter- I interviewed Mark Frost and he had this quote about bringing the show back that traveled really far. And then someone asked uh, NBC about it on stage about that quote. And then like it was brought back about six months later it was formally like brought back so uh, that's my like but i'm just saying it's, it's as tenuous you know what i mean like we're the kindling <laughs> that, that created the fire that that engulfed a generation <laughs> yeah so okay that's a good story dave um henry cavill really needs like a pal who can, you can talk to about games i hope he's found one he should um, come on this podcast he really should yeah so you, you can make that happen right matthew that's you've got connections on that on that side i'll leave that to you um okay good I, stuff. I remember in your first podcast that i think Catherine had a henry cavill story and i thought there could be like a good trend where every every one of your guests had to have a henry cavill story you know it's but, a high bar isn't it it's but you know it's something i'll consider for future episodes anyway yeah. <laughs> um so dave I, I remember when you joined imagine you were staff writer mm. then everyone left and then you were suddenly running the magazine by yourself <laughs> um what uh, what was that whole sort of period like uh terrible um <laughs> it was a pretty weird situation there was kind of like a mass exodus uh around that time so uh yeah i was just like a staff writer and it's like oh okay can you just like here's a flat plan can you uh you know put some content in it you know um hmm. so it was pretty pretty terrifying it was just me and i think at that time josh west uh was the was the other staff writer i think i was senior staff writer by the time that i was mm. or maybe they gave me the senior title because they were like well that'll placate him if he's the editor of the magazine 
<laughs> yeah, enjoy this extra grand. You're now, you're now running the magazine. Yeah, kind of thing. I, I went from 13 grand to 13.2 grand, and it was you know, <laughs> such a sweet victory for me. So yeah, no, it was it was pretty uh, it was pretty pan- it was pretty panicky, you know, just trying to figure all this stuff out. But um, you know, it it I, I kind of been doing it at that point. I think for about six to eight months maybe and like i kind of got a gist of you know what what game tm was and sort of kind of tapped into its voice so um i, I would say that there was probably a rough few issues there um but you know i kind of steadied the ship and then then i think you joined sam you were the next mm. editor were you not yeah that's right i, I think uh, so i was on play magazine for about six months uh, a, a job i did not enjoy very much um because playstation in, in like the late part of the ps3 generation was not the one dog um and so i vaguely remember like there was some kind of war roomish situation where we had to come up with games tm ideas and i was brought into that and you were there sort of like hurriedly writing them down and i thought this poor dude's just sort of like drowning by himself making this magazine i think i was just and drawing pictures cr- in my notebook something like that <laughs> um so yeah i just uh, i got moved across and then we worked together for about 10 months but i will say it was a very very fun partnership that we had uh, what was it what did you find working with me like on games tm it was pretty tough. I mean, you demanded I was in at 7am every morning. You kept putting cigarettes out on my desk. I had all these burn marks every day. No, no, work with you was great. It was, um, <laughs> you know, you're, you're a good collaborator, I would say. And um, I think we we kind of have very similar gaming interests apart from Final Fantasy. And so we, we sort of gravitated towards the the type of things that we wanted to talk about be it silly superhero games or you know zelda and you know whatever else it was and i think we we focus less on sort of the um experimental sort of side of the industry which games tm occasionally was sort of known for for sort of uh promoting more highly and and sort of went went a little bit more mainstream with it i would say um but i think that was to its benefit i think we we found a good sort of we tapped into a into a uh, unique tone of voice um whilst you know covering some of the some of the bigger games and anticipated titles that were that were coming down right yeah i think so i think like i mean it was it was 2013 so it was the new console launch year so that that drove the conversation to some degree there was a bit of an edict from above of like can you get this these black boxes onto the cover like eight times oh please, my God, kind yeah. of situation and so that was um that was hard but ultimately it was you know it's the right call because it did mean the mag sold fairly well that year but yeah yeah i think i think that's probably true i think that's probably my mainstream taste at work we didn't do anything as bold as the ouya cover on um, <laughs> Ouya's tm ashley days uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> he'll love Legacy. you he'll love you crediting that name on this podcast. <laughs> he loved the ouya wouldn't stop going on about it he made me do all the interviews and then he wrote the article and took all the credit so i'm just putting that out there fresh just slamming him publicly <laughs> Oh, I think credit. I mean, that's age like fine milk, really. So that's, <laughs> I that's know. Fine. That's why none of us um, care about it. But no, I was. That was funny that period with the consoles because I think that was that was in that transition phase from when I was doing the uh, when I was editing and then before you joined because I remember we I had to do a bunch of those uh, silly PS4 and Xbox One uh, renders. So I can't even remember who we got to design those, but I do remember. You know, uh, we used to have a section at the front which was. Um, we covered a lot of sort of the Japanese industry and what was going on, um, you know, on, on that side of things. And uh, I had uh, I had someone uh, high up, I would say, and made me the day before deadline take out eight pages 
on this particular thing that was happening in Japan at the time and replace it with uh, speculative bullshit on what the PS4 and Xbox One could be. Uh, so that was really fun. But, you know, that's that, that's magazines for you. A lot of it was very uh, intense. That was, that was magazines at that company, I would say. <laughs> future, future, was, future was never like that. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, fortunate for you guys. Yeah. The funniest bit, though, was when it was like, um, the PS4, what we know, and it hasn't been announced yet, it's basically a picture of Homer Simpson's car on the front of the magazine, and you're like, this is this is tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, I don't think I did this cover, but there was a Nintendo cover, and it was like the downfall of Nintendo. They'll never come back, and it was, you know, you'd have about four or five... Uh, you know, let's say reputable uh, industry analysts who you'd call up each time and say, yeah, could you just say something horrible about Nintendo that we can quote, you know, about why they're going to fail? And then, you know, you just class that in the magazine. Um, So yeah, lots lots of occurrences like that. (laughs) Yeah. Should we own up to the worst error that ever happened when I was editing the mag and you were working on it, Dave? Like, are you you prepared to own up to that? I I know exactly what you're talking about. So we we were looking for a new uh, columnist. Is this the columnist story, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I apologize again really emba- to Dan. It is really embarrassing. So, um, <laughs> it's so bad. We uh, we were on the hunt for a new columnist because uh, we've been using the same people for, for quite a while and we didn't have anyone who was sort of embedded in the more sort of uh, modern development landscape. So uh, I'd recently been interviewing the Chinese room, I think around the time of Amnesia that they worked on. And uh, I asked uh, Dan Pinchbeck, uh, whether he would be interested. And after, you know, uh, about a month of emailing, he, he came on board. And the first column he wrote, and he, you know, a very uh, talented, um, well, game designer and writer, you know, he, he could be a, a, a games mm. journalist uh, full-time if you wanted to, like, he could be any journalist full-time. But anyway, uh, I mistakenly uh, credited the column to uh, Dan Pinchback, uh, <laughs> much too, uh, um, you, you, you've actually mis- you've actually misremembered that Dave you, what I? happened was yeah we did a feature on the Chinese room and throughout that feature you referred to him as Dan Pinchback instead of Pinchbeck and then oh, no. we approached him about the column afterwards <laughs> which is even more awkward and that's strange that's right oh my goodness that's right yeah yeah but I just wanted to mention that because in case people listen to this podcast and think he sounds competent and that he knew what he was doing on print media in the 2010s the answer is I didn't really but uh that's not that's not the worst thing in the world I I mean Dan wasn't happy (laughs) oh right (laughs) oh no he was he was pretty um I think he was pretty chill about it he 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 he, he, he wasn't happy but he was he saw the funny side of it you know uh yeah pinch back instead of pinch back I really should oh I I can I thought I was expecting something truly horrendous like you were going to credit it to a completely different person or uh, edit it in some way that upset him but uh, i'd be fine with that a faux pas okay yeah a minor faux pas yeah. one that haunts me to this day it so, does yeah. me too um, <laughs> so i left imagine in late 2013 to go work on pc game what happened to you after that day because i became mega defensive about like pc gamer maybe going wrong under my watch and was quite quite cold towards you for the year following that um, because i'm a dickhead basically but mm. what happened to you when i left Came very emotionally detached from reality. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a sad time when you when you left the office. Uh, it, it was a really chaotic time for Games TM during that period. We sort of cycled through various different editors over quite a um, yeah uh, over quite a long period of time. Um, so I, again, I was uh, the de facto editor for for an extended period. Um, 
I think I was deputy editor of GamesTM at that point. Oh, no, was I just features editor? It's hard to remember. I was features just, editor, I was just yeah. features editor, yeah. The industry was sort of going... There was just lots of trends happening. And being in print and trying to latch onto a trend is just a fool's errand. Like, you, you just can't. It's already passed by the time your issue's out. And so, you know, what would happen was Daisy was particularly popular for um, a while and, you know from up above someone would come in and say i've been hearing about this daisy thing uh can we can we get this on the cover of the magazine i'm like well sure and you, you know spoke to dean hall and we, we did a cover but by the time the issue came out no one cared you know i hear this minecraft is a thing all the kids are playing um maybe we should put that on the cover i'm like okay so we do like a minecraft cover but minecraft's been out you know probably years at that point and so a lot of the stuff because there was no real i think um authority as it were, on the mag, and it was sort of me. I had to sort of act out the sort of the whims of the of the higher ups, and uh, and yeah, it made it made for a particularly turbulent time, I would say. But um, I still think we put out good magazines during during that period, and um, certainly you know great features. I I I I really liked focusing on on the more quirky side of things. You know, doing features on like um, what happened to the. Uh, AR, is it ARPGs? What's the the, the real life role playing uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. things like um, the Halo one with the honey? I love bees. I love bees. Yeah, that one. Uh, I love that stuff. So we we do like commissioned a feature on that. I had to I had someone come up to me to talk about they wanted to do a feature on this was a retro feature on this what was it? It was like a boarding school for girls who had like created this game in the eighties. Um, and I can't remember details, but it was like this really fascinating sort of untold story. And so commissioning stuff like that, that was just a little bit, um, off from center, uh, and sort of dug into, into, um, yeah, stuff that isn't normally spoken about. Um, mm. and then also- I remember that boarding school feature. That was really good. I think it happened when I was there still. Um, cause it was like quite a lot of research. When that, that was one, right. But it was like, yeah, like, was it was it like a basically like a a bunch of young women like were taught to make games or yes learn to make games within that environment I, just yeah really interesting yeah um, yeah yeah okay yeah cool. it, yeah uh, it was a good time I, I and also i had this real thing where i wanted to get various creators together and interview each other and it, and it, and it never panned out but i did one with peter molyneux and um Ian Livingston, who are friends, and just got just sat in a room with them for for two and a half hours and just listened to them. Like they had like some you know some bullet point sort of topics to cover, but just hearing those sort of two friends just sort of discuss the industry and that was really fun. I wanted to keep doing more of that, and I remember just like I had various things going through publishers um, and PRs where <clears throat> like I think I had Jake Solomon and Randy Pitchford who we were just trying to figure out a location and it all fell through, and I had a few of those all lined up and then. Uh, it, it kind of never happened, um, and I got moved on to a different magazine, so it was never to be. But I was just, I was just interested in doing something just outside of the typical sort of feature, feature, list, feature format that that was kind of established on on Games TM prior to that. Yeah, you were like the the. I think you were about five years too late, basically, for the type of features ed role you were sort of like really good at. Like it's, it's you know you, that sort of classic print features editor role i think is is kind of the best job you can get in games media personally you don't have to proof pages or worry about the actual mag side of things or maybe you do proof your own pages but um you're not like looking at the whole mag and you get to like focus on that idea side of things yeah you're you're really good at it so uh i can see why that was um appealing thank you um so you left games media to work in pr what motivated that for you were you just like 
opportunities were just sort of like a bit thin on the ground or would we do we just like i need to go where the money is because i I have a family what kind of like led to that for you the pinchback fiasco just really like uh <laughs> you know it, it, they cast me out of the industry for it so i had to uh yeah the to... walking sim fans really had pitchforks <laughs> for dave if i recall no i i it was money cold hard cash that was uh that was a big motivator but honestly that that was kind of the thing that that drew me out like you know it's no secret that especially imagine wasn't uh exactly great in terms of pay and you know there was more to be more money to be earned in in pr and it's a shame and you know you could feel the walls closing in uh at at imagine and um i've been moved to x1 at that point and i was enjoying that magazine it was obviously more more of a mainstream publication you know it was it was that you know top 10 lists and you know here's a guide to arkham knight and um you know stick in every single recognizable ip on the cover all the time you know and that was fine and you know there was still a lot of gratification in what we produced during that period um but you know sales were dwindling um you could the, the desks were getting closer and closer together and there were fewer like when someone left the company they weren't getting replaced so it was getting harder and harder to make magazines and um this pr opportunity came up at Koch media and uh I went into the uh, head of publishing's office and explained the opportunity that had been presented to me. And he was very frank. And he said, look, we're going to close your magazine down in the next, you know, 12 months. Please don't tell anyone. <laughs> but we're going to close your magazine down in the next 12 months. And yeah, like you'll still have a job here, you know, but you could be you could be on another video game magazine or you could be on like how to, you know, knitting for beginners. Like, you know, but we'll find a place for you. So he said, if I was you, I'd take the job. And so that was, I think, uh, a bit of a... Good advice. Yeah, good advice. It was, it was. And I appreciate the honesty. And so, you know, I, t- I took the opportunity. Um, and yeah, like, you know, I I enjoy this side of the business. I enjoy working on games. I enjoy that insight into development. And that's something that I've really sort of attached myself to as as I moved into PR is like being able to work with the studios themselves and having like build up a relationship with them, understanding what the game they, they're making is and like, you know, what they're passionate about about their game and, you know, trying to sort of shape, you know, the PR or the marketing, you know, around sort of that and not just, you know, your usual sort of press releases or, or whatever, like just this following the same A to Z roadmap of, of a lot of marketing, just just really embed myself with those different teams and and sort of convey what they love about what they're doing to other people. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you want to talk about uh, Nightingale then and, and, and that side of things for you, How what you're working on these days? Uh, yeah, like Nightingale, I've been, I mean, I, I've been in a bunch of different PR jobs. So I was at uh, Improbable for quite a period. And uh, whilst Improbable... Um, they created a internal studio called Improbable Canada, which was fronted by Aaron Flynn, who was general manager of Bioware. You know, he's been working there since, um, well, a long, long time. Um, trying to think of the first game that, that he was on. But, you know, Knights of the Old Republic, Mass Effect, Dragon Age, you know, he's he's had a, um, you know, a huge impact over some of, you know, the classics of, of the RPG genre. And so they brought him on and he, and he created a team out in Edmonton um, to develop what was originally going to be a, a, a sort of MMO that was going to utilize improbable sort of, you know, uh, cloud technology to, you know, create, you know, huge worlds of, of sort of, you know, unparalleled scale. But um, 
over time without going into the details, the finer details of it, uh, they split off and um, the game sort of got reshaped as as a as a survival crafting experience. And um, but it still has that sort of richness of lore and uh, and and story that that you know Aaron has you know history sort of has, has leaned into. Um, you know, creating mm-hmm. these really immersive worlds that that sort of have have a bunch of character and um, and uh, I don't know, just like this 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 sort of tangibility to them. Uh, but no, but Nightingale's been been a lot of fun. We announced it a couple of years back, and so um, we've been doing a lot of play testing with the community um, and sort of appearing at various different events, and we seem to have resonated quite. Uh, quite a bit with um, with gamers, and I think the survival crafting genre is one where um, the people who love those types of games are sort of uh, you know hungry for more constantly. You know, so um, we're going to be out in February next year, February twenty second. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to people finally be able to jump in. Cool, sounds good. And uh, I'm sure you'll ask Aaron to come on our podcast. We want to do a Dragon Age pod next year, Dave. So you know what, he'd, he'd absolutely be up be up for that. Yeah. For sure. Oh, okay. We'll well, that's, yeah, well, so and I'll, I'll, I'll sit behind him, breathing heavily, just to make sure he doesn't say anything. <laughs> as PRs do, just sit in the room and uh, just give them a look when they're going off off piste. Yeah. Don't slag anyone off. Don't slag anyone off. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, Dave, kind of brought you on this episode because you are a big superhero guy, as established earlier. Discussion of um, a chapter about Ant Man in a book that Matthew hasn't read. Um, so, mm. <laughs> why are you a big superhero guy? Is the genre treating you well these days? <laughs> <laughs> uh that's a loaded question um i'm loving loki uh, has anyone been watching loki season two? Oh my gosh not season two mcu Sorry, is no. back baby come on let's go um, come on. <laughs> it's really good the last episode it was the most excited i've been with a cliffhanger since that uh wonder vision uh, wonder vision um quicksilver reveal but anyway i digress uh, I, I don't know, like, superhero stuff, I've always, you know, I read a few comics as a kid, but I wouldn't say that, you know, unlike yourself, Sam, uh, I wasn't really a comic comic books kid, and probably because I grew up in a tiny little town where you actually couldn't buy comic books, so that probably impacted mm-hmm. that somewhat. Um, so it all came through, like, the movies and video games, um, and so, you know, I, I loved the X-Men films, Spider-Man films, I just basically watched anything superhero-related, and then the MCU started and I kind of got into that. And I, th- I think, you know, it's kind of age like milk now, but, you know, I kind of uh, had an online brand for a while. It was like the MCU ranker, and I, I which I regret massively. Right. <laughs> and I've kind of tried to distance myself from that. You know, I need, to, I, need, I need a new ranking topic to go for, you know. Maybe, maybe, Are you sure it's a funny. ranker they were calling you, Dave, and not something else? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I did. I did mention that we were talking to you on the podcast to some of my work colleagues, and one of them said, "Oh yeah, he used to rank MCU films." Like, Damn it! Uh, yeah, so. I can't believe I defined myself online by such a you know pissy little uh, like just trend. It's it's terrible. But anyway, yeah, I just need when, to. When did you st- when did you stop ranking? Uh, I mean, I never stop ranking. It's all in my head, you know. You can't, you can't stop right. once you start. It's uh, it's just in you. You know, it's part of you at that point. But no, I, I you st- you still rank, don't you, Dave? I think I do still do it occasionally. Yeah, I am uh, my own yeah. worst enemy. But you know, I try to throw in a few others. I need to, I need to just do like a, a full one eighty. Just go in the op- opposite direction. Start like ranking. You know. Claire Denis films or something. You know. <laughs> <laughs> really yeah. The thing is, 
you are like a but you are like a big movie fan that's the thing you're like oh have you seen this thing it's on movie or whatever and i'm like no i haven't well sam just you know you and i just went to london film festival together and had a wonderful time uh watching yeah, watching maestro really and priscilla so you know I'm, I'm a man of all tastes but you know um i yeah i i honestly i i i i mean you know maybe it's um was it alan moore used to say you know like superhero films just make every adult a, a child but you know there is a comfort mm. in in the genre it's easy pleasures and you know i think when it's done right it can it can do more than that you know i think you know stuff like wandavision black panther um you know have have more layers to them that and, and have a sophistication to them and their execution that i think you know elevate the genre but sometimes it's just cool to watch watch people you know just punch each other you know punch a big purple dude with with rocks on his hands you know i'm i'm not above that so um yeah i, I i've just um I've just been all in on it since uh, probably around the first Avengers movie. And just uh, unfortunately um, built a reputation around like its superhero films that continues to haunt me to this day. <laughs> has, uh, has Sam shared the back page MCU rankings with you? I listened to oh, it. Dave's listened I, to I, episode, I, right? I'm a yeah. big fan of the pod. I mean, come on, guys. Oh, okay. Yeah, I listen to all. I'm, an, okay. I'm, a, subs- I'm a, was it, a Patreon subscriber. You know, I get all the XXLs. Oh, nice. oh fantastic. <laughs> and I appreciate yes, I know that. I know that- I know that we upset a, a lot of the Discord with um, our Eternals take. Now, I love Eternals too. I'm a big Eternals guy. Oh. I actually think that's one of the better films since Endgame. Yeah, I, three giant men like Eternals. That's good. Chloe Zhao um, got this unnecessarily got the got the stick for that because of you know she oh. just come off an Oscar winning film and I think I think it was unfair. I think that is a that is a good film with a lot of artistic merit to it. Yeah, no one's gonna fuck with three giant men with that. Opinion. <laughs> I should point out that Dave is giant because he's very tall. He's not like, you know, wide like me. No, you don't need to describe it. It's fine. (laughs) My physicality (laughs) doesn't need to be discussed. (laughs) That's true. You are just appearing in audio. I'm I'm large in terms of volume. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, matter. Um, Yeah, so I I just, speaking of Eternals, actually, I was doing like a clean out of my flat the other day. And I found out in the cupboard, I found like the the present from my brother that shows the most contempt for me, which is like the smallest Lego Marvel's Eternals set that they did. Um, and it has like Icarus <laughs> in it, Richard Madden's character. And then like, um, and sp- sprites that little like character. And it's like completely sealed, never opened, like genuinely one of the worst gifts I've ever received. Just amazing <laughs> stuff, really. Um, I text you from okay, Disneyland so- with the discounted uh, Eternals merch that they had in every shop because they could just not shift it. And it was, just, <laughs> it was all there about 10% of the price that it should have been. And I was like, Sam, do you want me to just bring all this back for you? Because I know you're such a fan. Yeah. Speaking of that, it's very, very easy to get discount Marvel Legends um, uh, Kang the Conqueror figures at the moment. I'll leave you to to figure out why that is. (laughs) No comment. Um, Okay. So what's the relationship with superhero games, Dave? Was Spider-Man 2, the original Spider-Man 2 on PS2, a key text for you? Well, um, I actually had it on uh, the GameCube. Right, um, right. um, Mm. But yeah, it absolutely was. I mean that's the pinnacle of licensed games right like it's certainly movie licensed games i would say you know it's um the i think you know it's been discussed ad nauseum by various other people but the the swinging around an open world new york was just mind-blowing to to me at that at that point and then having the sort of authenticity of you know the the various uh actors from the movie like toby Maguire, kirsten dunst doing the voices as well um, and just replicating a lot of the cinematic moments from the movie, it, it was phenomenal. I absolutely loved that game. And, you know, I, I think that its, it's shadow has loomed large over 
other superhero games since. Uh, and it's only really since Insomniac's, um, you know, Spider-Man back in 2018 that anyone has really sort of lived up to to the reputation of that of that Spider-Man game. Yeah, I think that's true. So that was the next thing I was going to ask, really. But I think that the PS4 Spider-Man game in 2018 was like this thing that everyone was on the tip of everyone's tongue. Basically, it's like we for years there were like lots of Super Spider-Man games that did not reach the full potential of that character, but it felt like an open goal to make make one that was really high quality and basically like you know the modern version of spider-man 2 the game that you remember but without all of the um the rough edges sanded off is that kind of what spider-man represents in the course of superhero games dave just something that everyone wanted and it was just realized in that moment yeah i i don't think there's a better superhero that translates to to video games right like his his sort of suite of powers the world with he with he inhabits his sort of roster of of characters you know it, it it completely delivers on the sort of fantasy fulfillment of being a superhero you know in video games i don't i even batman i don't think as much as i love the arkham games i don't think it can be uh as good as what a great spider-man game can be oh i hard i hard disagree on that what do you think of that matthew like uh in terms of like i guess the 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 what ps4 spider-man represented but also i guess like you know spider-man's potential in the video game space versus other superheroes Uh, i I mean I, i see i see where dave's coming from um, in terms of like maybe like the scale of the fantasy and, and what you can do, you know, particularly on like modern hardware, like having that whole city, you know, you know, Spider-Man can do kind of very kind of close up stuff, you know, the kind of more nuanced combat and stealth, but then you can zoom right out and have the incredible freedom of that city and it is super iconic. But I'd say like Batman is as iconic in terms of the the ingredients it has to play with is it more limited? I, I, I don't know. It's it's a really tricky one. I, I, I still I still think the best Batman game is better than the best Spider Man game. Yeah, uh, I think I so think that's far. True, but yeah. that's is there potential for more than that? I I think there I is. I, just, I I agree. I okay. think the best of the Arkham games is still better than you know the Spider Man games that we've had so far. But I do think there's a better Spider Man game to be made. Interesting. Mm. I think it's partly because that you know the. Uh, the rocksteady take on batman punched so far above the weight it's a weight in terms of like where we where we thought that game was going to land when it was announced arkham asylum versus where it ended up and the way they built on it was kind of extraordinary in some ways i think they were they were overachievers rocksteady yeah. and so that that set such a high bar for batman i think as um, well like the, the the one thing that spider-man is limited by is the fact that he's grounded in in a version of the real world right in new york city whereas rocksteady had the good fortune of of arkham and sorry the gotham being completely fictional so they were able to have sort of a bit of creative license with that world and be able to sort of structure it how they wanted it to be to sort of you know to, to, to their aesthetic and their vision of what a batman game should be so i think that's the big the biggest advantage of the batman games yeah, I think that is true, actually. I think he also has a slightly better rogues gallery as well. I think people would probably agree oh, that no. Batman, Batman's got the ultimate. You really? You're a big, big shocker guy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you a big Mad Hatter guy? Like, we could do this all day, pal. Like, where are we going? Oh, well, I like Spider-Man. I love, games, but I love Professor quite, Pig said no one ever. <laughs> Professor Pig's fucking great, Phil. If you haven't read Grant Morrison's Batman, you're a fucking philistine. That's your problem, mate. Um, but like, I think that Spider-Man's villains are kind of knowingly goofy, right? They're, not yeah. all of them. Some of them are quite serious, but they are like meant to be about as colourful and sort of ridiculous as he is, really. I totally. It's it's just a much more colourful and sort of dare I say it, family friendly like uh, pitch, you know. I mean, so they're, they're all, yeah. 
Spider-Man has like great potential for for range in that it can be very bright and sunny, and you can put uh, you. I don't. I, why not? Maybe they do in the comics, but I, I can't really see a Spider-Man that pushes as dark as no. as Batman can go. But it does have that range. You know, Batman, you know, for all its brilliance in those games, you know, it's always a man stomping around a very dark city at night. You know, like I, I think. You know, one of the treats of Spider-Man is, you know, the, the new ones anyway, is the, you know, it's just being able to drink it all in and, like, the joy of a bright, sunny day and then, you know, the, the, the city lit up at night. You know, just visually, um, Spider-Man has, has like, a, a wider palette, which is quite exciting. Yeah, I think that is fair. It's also just that it is a different fantasy it's selling too, right? Like, it's the, mm. you know... The comic books are a side of this, but also for people who grew up watching the Raimi films, it feels like when there's a when there's a sunset and you see it bouncing off the windows in Spider Man mm. or Spider Man Two, they are selling you basically like you know what the shots of Spider Man in those Raimi films look like. They are they bottled that up and put it in a game and sold it to you, and it's mm. it's quite the thing, and it is different to anything that Batman offers. And that's um, it's just a good hang. Spider Man's just a really good hang. Like it can be much lighter on its feet and just celebratory and it can have just an outright happy ending and that's fine mm. um where in batman i think there's always that kind of no matter how well the day goes he's gonna go back to his house and be a bit sad about his parents <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh i don't think enough credit goes to raimi for really establishing the the tone and and, and the visual language of spider-man because you know even I, the Andrew Garfield films, like they're just muddy, and I don't, I don't think there's any anything that stands out visually from from those movies. And and, and I think even the the Tom Holland lot do trade a little bit on the Sam Raimi um, foundations, albeit they kind of okay, we're going to go to Europe or we're we're going to go into the suburbs a bit and like not not focus so much on the city. But um, you know that I think that has defined what Spider Man should be to more than one generation, whereas Batman. You know, Burton had such a peculiar and unique uh, aesthetic to his world. And then, you know, it's been redefined several times since that there, there isn't no one, there isn't one way to do a Batman. Whereas I think there probably is a, a one way, at least at the moment, for, for a Spider-Man to look, you know. I mean, obviously, there's, mm. I, I think the, the counter argument there is probably Spider-Verse, which, which um, obviously is it, just, you know visually overwhelming and it's just like this in, this incredibly colorful um pop art like experience but um in terms of live action at least i think raimi has you know set set a very um specific design for what spider-man should be and the video games are lifting directly from that yeah so dave why do you think that the insomniac spider-man game didn't get questions around authenticity or being off brand like the avengers game did uh, the mcu's created some headache created some headaches for making marvel games a little bit i think what's what's their secret yeah i again i think it's because there's been various iterations of spider-man over the years you know cartoons different different actors playing the movie so that there's there's not one face that defines spider-man to people whereas the mm. avengers game so the avengers game came so close um to the height of the mcu and you know those actors defined those characters except the only exception there would be the hulk but you know in terms of captain america iron man thor those are very much, you know, the two Chris's and, and Robert Downey Jr. You know, they they are they are those characters. And that's why, you know, I think they would struggle, you know, whatever multiverse shenanigans they get up to in the MCU that they could, you know, recast those actors. I think that would be a very difficult job for them to pull off. So that game, you know, 
didn't have, I guess, the luxury. And I think the Guardians of the Galaxy game had the same issue, although I think it, it was more successful in sort of its different interpretation, is that those characters are just so associated associated with those actors that you just feel like a sort of, you know, bargain basement, uh, like, ripoff when you just try to do their thing, but with a different face on it. Yeah, I sort of get that. I think the Guardians game did get a bit closer, but I think the the take of the characters is probably fair much as i did like the um the peter quill in that who was like bro rocket raccoon that was kind of like his whole vibe yep. okay let's take a break then we'll come back and talk about spider-man 2 specifically Welcome back to the podcast. So, we've been playing Spider-Man 2, much as the world has. I intended this to be an episode where we could talk about spoilers, because I would have finished it. However, I failed to do that. At the same time, though, I think that people will probably appreciate the idea that this is this is like an episode that will touch on major moments, but not really ruin them. We're going to avoid ruining the big stuff, I would say, but we might allude to some, um, some key events without giving the game away. So, threading the line, really, expecting a, some people listening have played it, but some people might be saving it for Christmas, etc. So... Spider-Man 2 then. The story of this game is basically Craven the Hunter comes to New York City looking for prey and that includes Spider-Man and his villains. At the same time, um, Peter Parker's best friend Harry Osborn who has been um, in Europe quote-unquote but actually suffering from uh, serious illness um, has reappeared on the scene too and uh, there is a big breakout from the raft at the start of this game well I think it's a boat that's on the way to the raft actually with a bunch of Spider-Man villains in it the raft is a super powered prison there's a great arc of New Avengers actually uh, where it's the very first arc of New Avengers 2004 Brian Michael Bendis and David Finch where the raft is um, basically there's a big explosion and all the villains escape and the Avengers have to stop them that book is fucking rad uh, went down a bit of a tangent there but a uh, little recommendation for listeners I, uh, I, have, yeah. I have a problem with the concept of the raft as like the most dangerous criminals known to man are stored in this prison, which is like maybe a hundred meters swim from the banks. I, just don't <laughs> fi- I don't feel like that is an optimal place for it. Surely you'd put it out at sea. It's a, it's a good point. I did also think like, why did they let like Kurt Connors live in Manhattan still? Wouldn't you be like, look, I, I need you to move to Milwaukee or something. It, Do you know what I mean? Like, it's also such an ugly building. The idea that you could convince the people of New York that every time you look out of your window, you're going to see the scariest prison ever. I just, I just don't see people going for it. It's a lot on the on the horizon. I said this in Twitter, but I, I don't want to criticize anyone for doing their job wrong. But if I was running a supervillain prison, I'd probably take their supervillain costume, which has like a lethal, uh, like poison inside <laughs> it, and, and an extensive <laughs> armor uh, off them as uh, as I incarcerate them. Like it, it seems like a faux pas uh, to me. Yeah. So you have that 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 basically the the breakout of this ship that sent on its way to the raft, and the so the Scorpion escapes, and so do, too does Mister Negative uh, Martin Lee. Um, the two Spider Men, Peter Parker and Miles Morales, uh, basically trying to get the villains back, and obviously Miles Morales has a, uh, a basically like a personal stake in this because Mister Negative is responsible for the death of his father in the previous game. So quite a lot going on narratively. Um, kind of like has a lot of momentum from the off. The very start of the game, uh, I, I suppose I think we can spoil this because it's like literally the start and lots of people would have played this at this point. It's the first thing you do. Pretty amazing set piece with um, Sandman in Manhattan. Really sets their expectations high for 
big scripted set pieces in this game. That's pretty cool. So I guess like that to start with like the top line thoughts. Matthew, how do you how do you feel about this game? Uh, I really liked it. Uh, I, I had a great time with it. Uh, I think it's I think it's the best of the Spider-Man games they've made. Um, just felt like a, a really confident step up. And actually, that that thing about it opening with Sandman, like it actually reminded me a bit of like the kind of big set piece they used to open God of War with. And it, it, the whole thing, if I was going to equate it to anything, kind of reminded me of like the step up from like God of War 1 to God of War 2, where you just take everything that you did so well in the first that everyone like really gelled with and really loved. And, you know, you polish it up and the, the extra things you add don't diminish it in any way. You tighten a few things. It's, it's, uh, you know, we can go into this in more detail later, but I think it's uh as, as open world checklist games go, it's really, really well judged in terms of like the amount of content and how that content is woven into the story. Um, Yeah. I just, you know, it is a repeat of the formula of 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 Spider-Man One, but without the 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 few sticking points I had I had with that game, so um, you know, big sort of mission accomplished for me. Okay, yes, I think that's um, probably like the emerging consensus around the game is that it's a step up in a bunch of ways, and I think that's um, that's completely a fair observation. Dave, how about you? You've just finished it, right? You've hundred percented it, is that right? Hundred percented it. Yeah, yeah, I loved it, loved it, start to finish. Um, I told you earlier. It's it's like a ten out of ten for me. I don't I know that's pretty bold, but uh, I honestly the very few faults that I could see. Um, I say it 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 starts big, and it it doesn't let up, and it has time uh, both in terms of it, within its main story and and within some of the side missions to sort of slow down and have these sort of very um, poignant character moments as well. But I I was honestly just impressed. I just I love the world. I love swinging around. You have um, the way that it's sort of doesn't diminish your sort of that that power curve that you learn in the in the first game and in Miles Morales and just expands on it gives you more tools to explore the city with gives you more um variety in the combat with with various different upgrades you have the I think as well it's sort of upgraded from the relative I'd say sort of B and C tier villains that that sort of pervaded through the first game and, and certainly Miles Morales and, and sort of really brought in the the well-known rogues gallery into this one. I just I just thought it was fantastic and I, I enjoyed it pretty much every moment of it. Yeah, I think it's really strong sequel. It's sort of like um there's a big step step up in sort of presentation of, of story. There's um there's a lot more going on in terms of story that's woven into the main missions as well. Um partly assisted by the fact that they're doing these scripted events that might remind you of like Naughty Dog games and how uncharted set pieces work, like stuff kind of that's kind of on rails, but I think it's um a good transition because I think a criticism you can level at the original game is that a lot of the missions end up feeling quite anonymous. I imagine that people remember the big encounters of bosses in that first game, but not the individual missions here. It feels like the 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 characters aren't necessarily like the big the big star of a set piece it's a set piece itself and that's i think a bit of a, a transition point and as someone who enjoys the big polished blockbuster experience i really like that i think it has a couple of drawbacks that come with that we'll get into that um but i do agree that there there is a, a unique challenge with making a third spider-man game uh, since 2018 in like basically not just repeating the same thing it's it, i think because you have to set you know spider-man game in new york you have to have that certain set of like traversal powers and they already nailed that the first time around 
it does become like a tricky equation of what can you add to that formula without really taking away from it. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate like there's not not every decision they've made here like totally lands for me, but most of them do. And I think that's a, a testament to the fact they have thought long and hard about this. And it's anything but a, ca- a cash in. It really is like proper sort of you know sort of like they thought hard about how to layer things on top of that combat without losing what they already had. So yeah, really um really strong. And if you like Spider Man as well, it's got a really fucking great story. That's the thing. You just you can't argue with the the script writing, the characterization, like and the you know, the way that the cutscenes are rendered. Just it it's a terrific terrifically presented if you're a big Spider Man, you know, head, essentially, Spidey head. So yeah, um yeah, I'm, f- I'm fond of it as well. So I was curious, Matthew, what you made of the way they've avoided the pitfalls of like repeating themselves and how they've kept the formula fresh in this one. Um, which of the kind of like major changes work for you? I think I really like the, the the new movement option. So they've added these web wings that let you speed through the city. I think they understand that you've, you know, the chances are you've done this city at least one time before and you can take it at incredible speed now i think they're less precious about you know spending time in that city it becomes more of a more of a backdrop for these sort of spectacular set piece missions which feel like they're they're a bit more localized like you go to specific locations and loads of mad shit kicks off rather than you know there's a couple of chases through the city itself but i think they understand that like that the the wow factor of being in that city is maybe slightly diminished, so they don't dwell on it as much. And um, the web wings, you know, you can still swing and everything, but if you're gliding with web wings, you can go into these wind tunnels, which kind of fire you through it really quickly. And um, I just liked how fast it got me to all the new stuff. Um, and I think that thing you said about the the the, the the jump in storytelling techniques and the way they weave like interactive cutscenes into the missions, you know, scenes where you're switching, you know, switching characters and different, you know, you sort of see it from different perspectives is, is really interesting. And, you know, the other jump is this slightly kind of intangible improvement in, in, in writing and character arcs and the fact that it, it spends like a long time kind of bedding in the characters uh, and their relationships so that when stuff does kick off it it becomes a bit more meaningful like it it's i was actually quite surprised by how late they hold back like just the arrival of like the symbiote suit which is like one of the the, the big new kind of mechanics in this is that you have this new move set you know it probably arrives about halfway through the game which is quite late to hold it off but by then you kind of know what everyone's deal is and you know you've got this this narrative element which hinges on people's emotional turmoil so you have to establish those stakes for it to kind of make any sense and i just think there's a lot of of really sort of smart decisions in that so it's not necessarily like a back of the box like feature you can kind of tick and go it's this it's just a sort of a, a general increase in sophistication yeah i think that's probably fair um, so, uh, Dave, what do you think about how they've kept the formula fresh in this game? The, the new additions to the to the mechanics in the game. Yeah, I, I agree with what Matthew was saying. Um, there, there definitely is sort of a, less of an interest, clearly, on on New York. You know, New York is a character, um, and it, it's much more about building around those set pieces and building those character moments. Um, I, I think as well, what what does help is Miles Morales. I don't think Miles Morales gets enough credit for being a great Christmas game, like the the way that it transforms right. our world with with lighting, with with snow, the weather effects, and just in general, sort of the the story around that 
time of year, it, it kind of makes it feel self-contained. And, you know, um, even though that game is much bigger than I think a lot of people anticipated prior to prior to it coming out, it it does feel like a side story because of the fact that it's sort of set set as set up as like a, a, a Christmas tale. Um, so this being sort of like a full a full blooded sequel that sort of takes the visual language of the first one and then sort of expands it. You've got, you know, those new new areas outside of the, the main New York Island. I don't know what it's called. Where's it? Brooklyn and um, Queens and Queens. And all that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, it, it, again, it sort of takes it outside of sort of Spider-Man's exterior life and takes it more into Peter Parker's interior life as it goes out and Miles Morales's as it goes out into those areas of the map. So, so I think that, yeah, that they've looked at it like in terms of sort of avoiding, as you're saying, that that sort of uh, uh, staleness that, that could have occurred, uh, they have, you know, focused more on who the characters are and what worked about the original. I just sort of, you know, amped it up significantly. Yeah. So it's interesting because they have dual protagonists in this game, as you mentioned there. So you have Miles Morales, who uh, lives in Harlem. That's his essentially his part of the city. And then, yeah, Queens is Peter's, so a little bit more suburban. You get a little bit of that suburban New York flavor you didn't really get in the um, in the original game. So that's one way in which they've changed the map a little bit. And, yeah, also, like, the, the idea of the dual protagonist does give the, the allow the story to switch perspectives, which is good. I would say it primarily feels like Peter's story, but there are definitely moments where it does feel like Miles' story at the same time. I think that... And they're both really nicely sorry guys. i was just gonna say i i think that sort of switches a bit i don't know how far you got matthew if you did you finish it matthew yeah i finished. I think it, yeah. that kind of changes about halfway through i think it it definitely leans more into miles in the in the second half of the game at least that's that's what i felt i don't know i don't know if you agree with that matthew yeah uh it's it's tricky because there's definitely like the symbiote story is is more peter parker's story but miles is a big bit of it um i I think they do a good job of keeping them both in play. I, th- I think the um, like the reintroduction of like Mister Negative and this idea that there's there's like beef and trauma between Miles and him kind of gives him a you know a, a sort of his own sort of antagonist to focus. Like they, it's quite clever how they both have quite clear arcs going through it. And you know, one other thing I was going to shout out actually is it's this is clearly clearly a project which has been planned from the very start like the way that it builds on the what happens in spider-man one and miles morales it doesn't it doesn't you know it, it feels like they've, they've got a very clear idea of what they're doing in terms of acts so the fact that they can bring back in mr negative and what he sort of represents in the story is is, is really neat um yeah like they yeah they both i feel like by the end i you know it's it's hard to say without spoiling it like they've they've kind of uh Miles Morales has his due I think yeah it's uh, it's interesting as well because I think like, it allows them to have slightly different power sets so you sort of get the feeling of like a superhero team game in this except they've split it between two characters and I think that that comes from a few things so obviously they've expanded the skill set of the characters so Miles has these sort of like energy based powers um and could basically be like Palpatine lightning shit in this which is quite wild <laughs> but pretty cool obviously the symbiote powers um once you get them that expands um peter's repertoire too so there's um he has a lot going on and then obviously with the gliding powers too they've just there's just a those combined with the gadgets means you have like a lot of versatility of what these different characters can do so mm. i really love that as a as a premise to sort of like you know create this quite i guess like wide canvas of cool superhero stuff you can do um in this game just with the the character spider-man essentially yeah. so that well, i really like 
I, I also I think it allows them to begin to tap into this sense of like you're in this city full of heroes. Admittedly, they've only really really got two, but uh, you know one one of the beautiful little touches, and I think they did this in in Arkham Knight as well, is that if you're playing as one of them and you go to do one of like the randomized crime events sometimes you'll find the other one there already having a fight mm. and there's a sense of like oh yeah th- this is a city with two spider-men of course you're going to run into the other one like when you fight alongside each other you get like dual takedowns I and mean, you definitely fought alongside sidekicks in arkham knight right that's yeah in the nightwing and and uh, Robert, and, and yeah. those moments were always really cool and, and it it does it uh without sort of spoiling some of the sort of side content like there's definitely another character who you can eventually start seeing around the city which is cool and you get the sense of like oh in like another game's tie you know if they keep building this you know that's their version of like the mcu is that they've introduced all these characters and gradually this city's going to become fuller and fuller with them and like bumping into them and seeing what they're up to. I, I really like that. I thought I thought it sold the the fantasy of that kind of connected universe. It, that was like something the first one just doesn't have and can't really do. So that was cool. I like that a lot yeah. too. And uh although I think you're overselling that that side character who turns up. That people shouldn't get their hopes up of who that might be. It's not like Wolverine or anything. Oh right, yeah, I just didn't know how <laughs> spoilery it is. And it's you know, yeah. It's not, it's not that big a difference. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I really like it too. I will say one one of the points that, that I think um I think one of the, the weaker things that the game does... Actually, it's less a weak thing. It's, I would just say it's a disappointment for me, is that the, they they establish like this this version of Spider-Man existing in a world with all these other superheroes. You've got the looming Avengers Tower that, that sort of pierces the map. You have, uh, you know, like the Wakanda em- Embassy, and you have, uh, like, Daredevil's, um, you know, law offices, all, all that sort of... All those sort of landmarks and, and uh, this, the Doctor Strange's gaffes there, too. Um... But it, I thought after the first game that they would deliver on that promise a bit more, that there would be a little bit more interconnectivity with with other characters. Right, okay. You know, they, it doesn't mean they have to be like, oh, look, this is the this is the you know the uh, the mission where Wolverine turns up, and this is the mission where Iron Man turns up, or whatever. But it does it it really just is window dressing. There's there's no actual substance to those references at all, mm. and mm. I found that quite disappointing. Uh, in a way like I know it's a Spider-Man story but I don't think you should have those elements in the game if you're not going to pay them off to some respect so I disagree with that I mean first of all I like the Doctor Strange's gaff you know it's actually called the gaff sanctorum Dave just so yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> want to make that very clear but like uh, they've actually suggested in an interview that there might be daredevil stuff to come because there's like some weird easter egg when you go to their offices or something so yeah the uh the, the signs they're... come down which was in the first game but it's kind of the plaque is still there but they're the actual nelson and murdoch is is not there anymore they, they've yeah. said as well haven't they said that like their wolverine game is is going to exist in this same world yeah they did mm. but then like make make more of a reference to it though right like i don't no, know yeah this, but this maybe is they MCU wanna, maybe brain they wanna, like, rot taking me over but maybe they would just want to introduce him properly in his standalone game because you know it feels like the cadence is going to be wolverine and then spider-man 3 well, they, and they describe this you game know, whatever as you're the... establishing that wolverine whatever you're establishing wolverine you could then drag into this universe yeah right? for sure because they they, yeah. they talked about this game being their civil war which i which i get yeah, i think that's you know not not exactly a one-to-one comparison having played it all but 
I get it. And then, right. uh, but they've said that game three will be uh, like their Infinity War, I guess. So, what that went? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a smaller version of it for sure. But like, I, I think the few bones they did throw people, I I you know. They, they were enough. They were enough for me as a casual Spider-Man liker. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hard disagree, Dave. I think the more you push into that stuff, the more you've got to earn it. And if you rush that stuff, it starts feeling like the MCU, where it's just cameo overload. Like the idea of it, it just being beyond your reach, I think is quite quite nice. And then they can choose to build on it if they want to. You know? I needed more. I needed more. The there's a mission without. I don't know if you want to spoil it or not, but there is a mission um, which does sort of touch on another you know Marvel character. And I think the payoff for that is is pretty weak. You sent you sent me a meme, Sam, and I knew you felt the same. Uh, yeah, I, actually, are we, are we talking about the same thing here? I don't know, but like, uh, I'm not sure. Talking, you get a letter are, are from someone. Por- are we talking? Por- are we talking portals? Yes. Oh yes, yes, of course. Yeah, right. yeah, getting a letter. Yeah, and, like, and then could, I sent you the. You could have done that yeah. in a better way. Is all I'm saying. And again, yeah. I love the game, but I was like that. That was not a satisfying um, sort of reveal to conclude that that particular chapter. Well, there's a lot they can do with it. That's the thing. Like, maybe we'll save this for a bit of discussion a little bit later on because there's more to get through first. So, we got Craven the Hunter as the initial villain of the game. Then, there, with this, when the symbiote comes into it, obviously there is a venom-based element to this as well. So, what do you make of Craven, Dave? I find Craven quite an interesting villain. I remember when I read Ultimate Spider-Man, the Bendis comic. Like the thing they did with him was basically make him a Steve Irwin-style reality TV star who then like pumps himself up with drugs. And he's considered a, like a bit of an embarrassment <laughs> by the other superheroes. Here, this guy's basically like a, a terrorist. He's got like a massive armed militia with him. Interestingly, there are no cops in this game. There are no police at all, which is something that only really occurred to me when I got about halfway through it. But instead, you basically have Craven the Hunter's militia. And he's a nasty piece of work. Like he, it's, he's established, to, you know, as maybe a bit darker than you you would perhaps expect from a spider-man villain fairly early on in this game what do you make of him dave i love the premise i love the idea of this guy being like okay like this is this is the hub of like the weirdos and super freaks and i'm just gonna go in and and hunt them all down i think i think that's just such a such a great concept for the for the second game and allows them to really you know pull in all those um great villains in in spider-man's gallery craven himself i've never really you know understood his appeal too much i mean they've got that's only have got that movie coming out it was meant to be this year next year aaron taylor johnson it's i mean who wants to see so that fucking bad it that so, it's gonna be so fucking bad by the triple frontier dude right like it's uh oh so is that the, so that's a margin call director yeah is that the same guy yeah, yeah, yeah. oh my god <laughs> fucking hell that's like uh jc chandler jc chandler yeah that's the one yeah yeah. Chandler. yeah uh so anyway i'm sure that that'll uh, be as revered as his other uh works but um uh yeah craven's just been always been sort of like a a silly you know throwaway villain to me i never really got his pill but i i think they do well to not only ground his uh motivations um you know pretty pretty good but um also just to make him pretty pretty fearsome and uh intimidating as as a presence you know he he's huge um his uh his army are just everywhere and i i think it um he's sinister and he you know there's 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 a danger to him and you know the fact that he's taking down all these villains like easily um i think sets the stakes pretty high for spider-man so yeah i i really like this interpretation of him as a character that i gave no shits about prior to this game how about you matthew Hmm. yeah i I, i'm not that familiar with the character on paper you know i maybe because i'd seen the trailer for the not very good looking film i thought um I'm not really into this, you know, is, is, this, is this kind of like too too many cooks? Sometimes, you know, 
I always think back to Spider-Man 3 and just you can overdo it and you can step on the toes of other characters if you if you try and do too much at once but actually his his role as this sort of sort of secondary antagonist and how he kind of drives bits of the plot he's 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 a really he's a really good device I found him compelling enough I quite like his his sort of full-bodied um voice acting thing and I think as as the story goes on they do give him like a little bit of inner life in terms of like what he's actually you know trying to do and what what he actually wants from all this yeah I liked it I too I really liked uh was he in his little army you know he's got all these different like foot soldier types who kind of mix up the combat I felt I felt like there was a bit more going on in terms of enemy variety in this one which was good but I really like he's got his robot birds and there's just a, the combat in this game is like a lot more feels a lot more aerial because of it like you're always kind of pulling yourself up into the air and doing all this amazing stuff it feels like you can spend like 30 seconds in the air without ever coming back down and like pulling people up and all, all these like weird sort of robot birds and he's got hunters who kind of climb up on things kind of pulls you up there so if if only for his um aerial troops i appreciate him as uh like what he brings to what he brings to the game but um yeah, he's good. He like he he, he fits in with it, and like how how his sort of storyline where it goes, I, I I thought was quite neat. It's like they took robot the... dog, robot dogs. I could live without personally. Sorry, um, yeah, robot dogs. I'm not like uh, I'm not. They're a bit of an L from me uh, personally. Oh, but, uh, I liked. I, you're wrong, Sam. I don't know because you can you can chuck them at people when they're about to explode. Yeah. That's quite fun. That is good. I suppose they don't pose like a massive threat either, really, when they're on the ground. So uh, yeah. they are kind of like projectiles in plain sight. Fair enough. I will stand down on that I, one. David, I was, so. was going to say I, I like the uh, robot birds as well. It kind of took the vulture fight from the first game and it's like, okay, let's let's just sort of like take take this encounter and shrink it right down into a con- common enemy and and just throw it into the game and you know it's it's just great to bring that variety to the combat bringing that verticality yeah. to it i loved it too yeah the mate i think like my favorite addition to this game in terms of mechanics full stop apart from the wingsuit is the uh, the web launcher they've added for the stealth sections where you can basically shoot wherever you want similar to batman arkham the arkham games you can you can locate where you want to fire basically a web tight um you know like a tight tightrope kind of walk and then like go across it and then sort of do the drop down stealth attacks on enemies gives you a lot of versatility of, of around where you sort of like move in the game i think that's a really cool addition to the stealth mm. um i was curious though what you guys made of the fact that you can parry in this game because i think that's like the the weirdest decision in it i i kind of get i sort of get the psychology at work of like you want to do things that stimulate your brain in different ways so the game does not feel the same as miles morales and tw- the 2018 game but like i wonder if that was like one thing like a, a, a mechanic too far maybe a little bit uh, matthew i don't know if you have a take on that oh uh, i i don't mind it the, the fundamental thing about the parry is it's quite a generous parry which i which i quite like in games when i can just parry really easily and i really like the the follow-up attacks that you can do after a parry they the, the animation one's absolutely amazing because you really slap people around and even on bosses if you land a parry you can then get these big punch and the way they sell the kind of like aggression of those punches above your normal hits is um it's like one of my favorite animation touches in the game so it's it's like a, a net gain for me but i i do appreciate that it it like doesn't it like he isn't a brawler you know he's like nimble and it's like it's his, his his the rest of his combat it's kind of like death by a thousand cuts it's like if you get punched in the face quickly 20 times that's how spider-man brings you down so the idea of like 
going mano a mano with like a giant bear man or whatever is, <laughs> is that that's about like it, it feels more like a batman move than a spider-man move yeah that's the thing it, like how much can you sort of like bend or b- bend the spider-man you know like combat i guess like you know sort of range before you break it is kind of the question and i think they yeah. bend it as much as they can with that parry what do you think of that Dave? well sam can i can i ask you a question go ahead do you like the combat in spider-man games so i think it is definitely like very good i think one thing it lacks compared to the arkham games is precision so because you're not aiming in this you're you're kind of like where you punch is kind of where you are aiming in this and i had quite a few times where i had a bunch of enemies knocked down and i was webbing them up but the the games the in-game auto aim was not aiming my webs at those characters and i don't really feel like i had the agency to aim those webs unless i go into slow motion and do them manually which is not really ideal but i do also think that's kind of like a compromise they make to keep the scale of the combat at the you know where it is because the battles are are bigger they take place in a wider players playing space in the arkham games so they can't necessarily be as precise you are sometimes like basically doing loops around the top of a skyscraper so you have like a massive wide open area you need to be able to navigate as spider-man so i get why they've made all the decisions they have but i guess i slightly prefer that up closer combat experience where if you aim the stick in a certain direction you're definitely going to do damage or a firing ability in that direction spider-man lacks a little bit of precision in that respect and um, what do you make of that dave uh i i agree it lacks slight precision but i but i do think in terms of like these type of you know triple a um action combat games it's in the sort of upper echelons of of combat like i i, I think yeah. it's fantastic and i i think the parry's good for all the reasons that matthew said um but I, I never really had any of the problems that you experienced if i'm honest and i know it's all subjective you you uh ranted to me the other day foaming from the mouth about <laughs> how you couldn't uh hit people with shields and then i told you that you were playing it wrong and then you blamed the game um so- <laughs> well, well no, but i think you agreed as well so okay let, let me just like explain myself obviously i wasn't foaming from the mouth uh unless i'd eaten like a big pizza beforehand and the, it was heartburn at plausible. Work. but um uh, yeah very plausible but basically i yeah so how the shield enemies work in this game is you need to slide underneath them with the circle button it's similar to how batman would like jump over them basically in um in the arkham games but you actually like i was what i was struggling with i was hitting circle when i was next to a shield enemy he wasn't sliding um around he wasn't sliding underneath them to to then be able to attack them he was just sort of like jumping around them and you pointed out dave you actually need to hit them with the square button first in order before you can then do the circle um, move that lets you slide underneath them and i said that's a little bit fiddly and i think we both agreed that's basically because there is no actual (laughs) manual aiming you can do in this game so the square actually your punch has to like function as your aim and that's the sort of like i think that is almost an admission in itself that there is a tiny lack of precision with the overall combat flow in spider-man i'm not saying it makes it bad especially as someone who really values intricate you know like intricate mechanics in games and definitely pushes back against games who just press one button to do a bunch of counterattacks and beat enemies spider-man is way more sophisticated than that and i respect that but that's that was all i said <laughs> i just like to do a bit of character assassination live on the pod so, uh, I, I deserve it. it i deserve it frankly <laughs> yeah um <laughs> But yeah, no, I I totally agree with you. I think I think there are these these very slight, almost imperceptible like areas of imprecision. But otherwise, as a whole, the combat system is just phenomenal. And I I can play games like this all day, every day. I just I just I just love the way it makes me feel. How it how empowering it is. Uh, how when it's smooth like this is, and 
you know you can you can rack up combos over a hundred and you just you know you you feel like you still have variety in what you're doing constantly. I'm going to use this gadget now, and then I'm going to transition to this move, then I'm going to airlift them, then I'm going to hit this bird over here, then I'm going to go down and throw this door. All of that coming together, like the the, the depth to it, it's just phenomenal. And I and I think uh, Insomniac have just done an exquisite job with this one. I suppose like elsewhere from the combat, we've talked about how there are like there's a larger focus on scripted events in this in this game, and that's yielded some pretty amazing set pieces. The portal set piece we allude to earlier without going too into it um definitely like lifts from matthew's favorite game ratchet and clank rift apart so <laughs> that's uh the way it does that is i think pretty is a pretty dazzling highlight of this game but there are numerous you know set pieces where there's just like great action pacing at work things to get excited about and moments to get your blood pumping and just really good um smooth examples of the form just really well constructed set pieces it also means there are a few more of the notorious pat the ox sequences in this game matthew where mm. you are essentially in non-combat narrative-based situations where you look at a bunch of stuff and then some cute moments happen i was curious as someone who has over enjoyed this game overall how did you feel about those in this game uh i actually didn't mind them uh i thought they're all quite light on their feet none of them really out outstay their welcome like i think it's partly the tone of this world is you know it's so comic booky and bright and quite frivolous you know it's it's small jokey things i think the you know where i where i kind of got bogged down with this in other games is is when you're sort of spending t- it, like it's it's the difference between spending those moments with good hangs and bad hangs basically right and where where i tend to bump into them is when you're forced to spend half an hour with like a very boring child as you ride an ox through a <laughs> north swamp say um <laughs> as opposed to like you know 10 minutes of of like getting your, your balls busted by um like your best mate and your girlfriend you know it's it's slightly different slightly different energy um i think that they they put a lot of like little mini games and goofy things like that like there's a a real kind of playfulness and and like love of love of games in this i you know one of the 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 big standout set pieces is you kind of go around this carnival but like mm. every ride or everything you go to is like a bespoke mini game or activity and so you are like interacting and playing with them and there's like scores to be gotten and everything and i i, I really like that and you know it's it fundamentally comes down to like if, if if you buy into the story if you dig the story and I, that this was a bit more a little bit more light-hearted and it has its darker moments but you know, I, I I liked seeing these people. I liked, you know, I think also part of it's the surprise of going, like maybe seeing it in like that level of granular detail in an open world is quite exciting. Mm. Like that's that's definitely part of it because this is a world which you spend so much of the time like swinging over it at speed and then occasionally it zooms right in. And to my eyes, it, you know, in those moments, it is as detailed and nuanced as a Naughty Dog game like graphically like the the level of detail in like the fun fair or like the offices and it sort of sells you on the idea of like that's what this you know that that is the level of detail in this world i mean it isn't you like these are the only places it goes into those granular details but it, it that that's like that's quite a fun trick so maybe it's maybe it's more that than anything maybe it's the it, putting those moments in something which is normally so macro is 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 a bit more exciting, I, right? Okay. I kind of feel it just it lacked pretension in in a way the other games that 
Matthew right. uses an example there. Don't yeah. <laughs> you know? There's it, it doesn't overstate its welcome. It's dealing with themes that I think are more resonant to, to the majority of people. And you say it, it's not just like riding whatever that weird thing was in, in God of War, talking about stuff that is felt, you know completely outside yeah yeah it felt completely superfluous with characters that you don't need an emotional connection to everything that spider-man is doing in those in those moments is building that connection between the characters because it has the same issue that the amazing spider-man 2 movie had it's like here's harry osborne he's your best friend even though we never mentioned him in the previous one and you've never seen him before and he's also gonna you know have this turn at some point and that's gonna you know impact um impact pizza he was mentioned he was mentioned. You found you went into that secret area in Osborne's apartment and found like Harry's gone to Europe and found out what was really going on. Oh, okay. Do you not remember that? No, I, I don't. But you know, obviously, it's a passing reference then. But you know, it's it's not a key part of, of that story in that game, right? Um, so it has to do a lot to to build that relationship up. And so when when the events of the game happen, you know, over various hours that they that they mean something to you as the player and you feel engaged with it. I think the first God of War game did well in terms of doing that with Atreus and, and Kratos, you know, focusing on those two. But it was when in the second game, it was all these various other characters on the periphery that, that it, it felt sort of too too in love with itself. Whereas I think Insomniac still did a great job of just, you know, bringing all these characters into the center, either it being to Miles or to or to Peter. That's fair enough. I think the only one I was, I was a little bit like, oh, can we get through this now? Was when you first go to the foundation that harry set up and you're sort of walking around that office and interacting with different computer screens i was like i can really do without this like i agree that the rest <laughs> of them like do do sort of land that was the one where i was like who cares and you're breaking up bits of protein or whatever like and i was like bees. i can again i'll give that a hard hard pass from me on that one dog but you know it's I, I, like again it's not around for that long so i can't really say it's that egregious i do like the um i did like the coney island one i think it'd be hard Hard pressed to not like that. I think they should disable auto aim, like disable the aim um, icon on the basketball and um, water gun mini games. Though that's my take is make those a, <laughs> make those a little bit more skill based. That's what I think. But, yeah. Uh, otherwise, I think I think as well they're just like a they're obviously thinking a lot about pacing in this game. Like they you know they have a few different gameplay departures like you, like an MJ um, stealth section. I don't know if there's a second one beyond where I've got to, but. You know the one they do is 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 a lot better than the ones they do in the original game, and yeah, these pauses are sometimes built in because it feels like they just need to give you a break from that cycle of stealth or like you know melee combat sections, which you're just which just become so familiar. And the side activities do some um, some great work to to vary that up too, which we'll talk about shortly. So yeah, okay. Speaking um, of the pause. Coney Island bit, uh, you meet Mysterio there. Did you do you recognize the uh, the actor playing the character? Uh, the voice actually did ring a bell, um, but no, not no. Who is it's, that? It's uh, the same actor who plays Bode in uh, Jedi Survivor. It look, and it's the same, you know, face model as well, basically, because it's you know the scanned the actor. Oh, okay. And it just put me off every time I met Mysterio in the game. I was like, that's just Bode. Like he just spoke. <laughs> oh. I just found it really distracting, which is no one's fault. I've already. I've already forgotten what Bode sounds like. I think you're going to say, like, fucking Jeremy Allen White or something. <laughs> I just, you know, that's... Oh, God, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> just shouting um, at yeah, you. Yeah, I do like them. These are my illusions yeah, now, not tomorrow. You know, something like that. That's a really bad Jeremy say... Allen White impression. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. You can keep working on that, though. Next time you come on, you can, you can yeah, nail yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so, Ooh, yeah, yes, I, yes. I think that... 
I do like the. <laughs> There's a couple of bits and pieces in this with villains who are in like non-villainous roles. I quite like actually. They sort of give you a sense of the world moving on a little bit, like Tombstone, for example. Yeah, who I do not, yeah, who I do fun. not remember from the first game, honestly. But he's just like, yeah, I just work here. I fix, but I fix go karts now, and I'm a good dude. And I'm like, fair well, enough, you know. That's a that's big good. part of the story, both in the side missions and the the main narrative, is about rehabilitation and forgiveness. And so, like, yeah, you get this sprinkling of these various sort of villains, either from the first game or just you know in general spider-man lore as as sort of you know going through this you know trying to live their lives outside of um you know whatever criminal enterprises they were part of previously i think i think that's a really fascinating take on on, on a lot of those characters because they could the easy route is just to oh they've broke bad again and they're and they're now doing bad shit though, though canonically c- canonically craven has killed some pretty big spider-man villains now yeah in this world like they're not coming back i'm assuming yeah, like it's uh, uh, yeah. Without spoiling who these are, I guess. Yeah, I think that that that's important to establish the stakes of the story, isn't it? I think like or, or to make Craven seem like a bigger threat than you might perceive him to be from his very daft outfit and like his, right. his origins of the comic book. So, yeah. Um, Craven. Um, I don't want to. Uh, don't worry. I was. No, I was go ahead. Uh, one one problem I do have with Craven is the idea that Craven's the ultimate hunter, but it's like he's the ultimate hunter with two hundred men. I had the exact same thought. With all this equipment. It's not actually, like, he gets his men to go and get all these people and bring them to him, and then he easily kills them. I don't, like, he's not a lone wolf. It's it's not exactly him. I don't know how many of his kills he can truly take responsibility for. I'm the ultimate hunter, but I'm going to capture them, put them in a cage, release them in a very specific room surrounded by all my people, and we're going to (laughs) use, and we're going to take all of their equipment and then, like, use it against them. Like, that. that's not hunt. Well, considering, like, he like he's got this this big sort of psychological streak to him throughout this game of like I'm so unsatisfied by everything I kill, and it's like well you've you've really fucked the odds in your favor. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Like get like the, the easiest the the quickest way to make this more satisfying is to fire your entire organization. <laughs> you know, but. Yeah, he's does got... anyone does anyone say this to him? No, <laughs> he's got to bring that cost base down. Like he's got so many stuff, you know what I mean? A lot of equipment <laughs> going on. Like it's where's the, and where's the income coming from? You know what I mean? Like it's a lot of questions there about Craven. I do agree, actually. Um, yeah, yeah. You feel like you spend a lot more time with like the the sort of like his uh, you know his sort of sidekicks than you do himself him himself as well. You're just spending yeah. a lot of time with like the same you know two to three NPC voices basically. But yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to tie these next two questions together, actually. So, the open world and how that compares to the original. Is that fresh enough um, to just have a revamped layout of New York? We talked a little bit about that, like the idea that they've, you know, they don't make you dwell on the on it as much. But I suppose if we talk about side activities here too, is tying them to some kind of narrative element as they, they do with most of these a wise move to make you more invested in them? Dave, what do you make of this? Yeah, I... Um... I think it's good they they kind of moved away from the focus on everyday street crimes into more like interesting what I would describe as sort of like friendly neighborhood Spider-Man type missions. It, there, there is this sort of disconnect though that you know you'll be swinging through and it'll be like oh there's a fire over here and you're like no I've got to go help a old geezer find his granddaughter again you know and it's like I'm going to leave this burning building and do this side mission that's that's a priority apparently. But um but no I I I I think that was a, a really smart choice on, on their part to sort of bring a little bit humanized Spider-Man sort of every day a little bit more. And it's less about punching people and it's about the relationships he has with different different people around the city, going into the suburbs as well, helping an old lady, um, you know, 
figure out what's been disturbing her garden. It's really, it, it, it kind of feels a little beneath Spider-Man, but at the same time, like I really like that sort of connection to the community and again just like there's some really poignant moments within those stories and i think that makes the world feel a little bit more alive than than it otherwise did in the previous game yeah i get you every now and then i have those moments too where it's like you know there's this there's this getaway vehicle on the run um but wait a minute i gotta stop and take a picture of this these two dudes playing yeah. chess kind of thing like there's uh, a little bit of a trade-off that goes on in your head i, I thought some <laughs> um, of those missions my- were very bizarre it's like you know you, you take a picture of someone's like hit someone on a bike there's, there's generally a photo opportunity where someone's run over someone on a bike and they're just arguing and then you know it goes to robbie robertson and he's just like wow new york city <laughs> it's like okay yeah is this going on the front page like where's this picture coming from yeah back when i edited pc gamer i would um, send back my freelancers a long voice message about every single screenshot (laughs) they submitted for a game i'd be like oh man third person shooters that takes me back kind of thing as if freelancers ever supply screenshots (laughs) matthew what about you and the how do you feel about the side activities here like do you think that they are a bit stronger overall than the first game yeah i mean i haven't like compared numbers for numbers but the, the, one of my problems with the with the first game was I, I I love how they 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 layer them on so they're not all there from the start and as you go through the story it puts more things in but in that first game it felt like you'd clear out an area and then oh now here's a new bunch of criminals have taken over a different bunch of rooftops and then you got to the third act and they'd be like oh here's a new bunch of an, another bunch of criminals have taken over a load of rooftops and I felt like I was doing the same stuff too many times and I, I just gave up on the side material in this one here like I don't think there's anything which has more than maybe like 10 examples of it in the map um which is is a really welcome restraint like the fact that lots of people have 100%ed this game and platinumed it in like 30 hours I think that's a good thing that's a really good length for 100% in a game like this um you know I am very likely very likely to do that um but more to the point about that all those individual strands tie into a character be or maybe even a boss fight or set up for a future dlc or the next game um that that's that's a trait i kind of um associate with with the batman games where it felt like some really fun juicy bits of batman lore lay outside of the main story and so you you just you know once you clicked into that you're really encouraged to actually do them and here i don't think there's many things where i've seen it through to the end and i felt like oh that was that was unearned or a waste of time you know even things which look like quite uh flimsy fetch quests will you know can end with like you know a big villain hint for the next game uh and yeah i you know i like i like that stuff i you know the the kind of current trend in collectathon games is the it's becoming harder to differentiate story content and side content you know that's definitely true in like god of war some some of the best stuff is around the outside of that story and i think it i think it's true here and it delivers enough on the the fantasy of being in that city and that city being full of things to do you know maybe some of the individual activities i was a little like like i love that i do love them like i love them the mysterio setup but then it's a little bit like they're challenge rooms and that 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 feels a little bit like 2005 like as as an activity like (laughs) go to a place and have a fight and you're like okay that's fine um but generally it was good you know i thought 
the 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 actual story side missions like the friendly neighborhood stuff and the there's some stuff about like following the trail of these arsonists um actually had some really well written stuff in it but i really like the, the arsonist, arsonist story really good. and I, I think the reveal is really satisfying on that one too mm. Mm. so it's a yeah it's a it's a thumbs up for me i like i, I i'm not anti-map checklist game like i I'm, i've still got a lot of room for them in my heart and i i liked how um sort of swift this this one was um it, yeah. it does help when Considered. you have a familiarity with the the world and like the the various characters that could show up at any of these times so you know it it, it, feel, yeah. it makes them feel less of a checklist when it's like okay well i'm doing a challenge room but it's a mysterio challenge room and so you know you may get some funky visual elements in there and yeah that does yeah that that, that definitely helps and you you, you you'll definitely see them all through just because you want to see like is this going to end with like a proper story mission or something cool, or is it just going to be an unlockable costume? Did, did you, you know, find that it was still mo- there was a lot of teasing for things that will come in, you know, DLC or future that, games versus payoffs that, in the moment? Yeah, that's if, if I'd say if there's a there's a like a, a mark against it, it is that like there's some there's some really cool stuff where you're like, oh great, I get to I get to deal with this guy now, and then you're like, well, yeah. no, can't wait really. to play that in um, five years. It's a classic yeah. hush in uh, Batman Arkham. Uh, city thing right like that's the that's the the first time i can remember seeing that where it was like you have this very brief encounter with hush and then you have to wait till the next game for it to pay off so there's a few yeah, have, yeah. have you done sam have you done have you finished the 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 chasing the metal birds story uh, stuff i have not actually no yeah that's that i quite like the, that that's probably like the classic example of this in this where you're like How's this going to really be anything? Because I'm just catching these birds. You sort of chase them through these tunnels. And then it suddenly gets very interesting and then just sort of ends on a on a bit of a cliffhanger. And you're like, yeah. oh, god damn it. Like, I would have liked to have seen that through. I don't think game. it helped me was that right. was that was the last side mission I did after I completed the game. Oh, so it right. was like, oh, cool. <laughs> you like kind of, you see, you're sort of rubbing your hands together like something, something juicy is about to, about to happen. And then it's like, see you next time, kids. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, the last one I did was uh, Mysterio, which is quite a spectacular. I like the ending. ending of that. So... I did that before I completed the main story, so it, some of it does. Oh, it depends right, where right. it falls in your journey as to how, yeah, how yeah. yeah, satisfying it feels as a conclusion. Have either of you? Mm-hmm. Sam definitely hasn't, but Matthew, did you collect all the spider bots? I that has no. the most. It has a very weird conclusion to it that I had to read up about, and it's just I can't. You can't oh, really right. talk about it without ruining it, but it's just a very. It's it's not satisfying, but it's not satisfying for a very specific reason, and it's 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 kind oh, of right. funny. But anyway, you'll have to. I, I think like a lot. I, it was surprising to me when I spoke to people about the spider bots thing that not many people kind of, even having collected like you know half a dozen of them, got what it was referencing straight away. Whereas I think it very clearly alludes to a crossover with the Spider Verse stuff, right? Because if you see it in the sky it's pulsing with like a hexagon sort of like pink ring around it which is the same shape oh, from the spider yeah I, I i i didn't make that connection See, i don't think that's no. a spoiler because yeah, i thought that was very visually obvious but um that's because you're a fucking <laughs> that's like that's not that's not something that normal people i've got kids damn it i've watched that movie like 10 times also i've watched that movie 10 times because i fucking love it but um well <laughs> Yeah, I think you'll find hexagons means multiverse. Yeah. Like you, you fucking. It was, but the first and, one you collect yeah. like a Spider-Man twenty ninety nine one. So I was, and then anyway, anyway, I don't want to spoil it, but something happens at the end of that, and it's very, uh, it's kind of funny. Um, that mm. resolves. Yeah, well, 
now that I've failed to finish the game in time for this podcast, I'm probably going to mop up those side activities before I finish the um, the game well, proper. So that's uh, that's just just a final point on those side missions for me at least. Anyway, um, the there was something I really liked in the first Spider-Man game was you were doing one of those sort of like collector trails or whatever, like one of those checklist ones, and then Taskmaster just in the middle of one just like took you out from nowhere and it just started this big fight with Taskmaster that just you know was completely you know random and uh and, and, and really exciting and i was like what i was really hoping was that this game would do more of that and it didn't do it once and i thought that that was something that the arkham games particularly arkham knight did really well was like you'd be completing like a random you know side mission and then out of nowhere like a c-tier villain would just come and start a big boss battle and i would have loved to have seen more of that in this but it just wasn't in there yeah it mm. felt like it was yeah, getting, interesting, it was yeah. taking steps towards that with like when you bump into other Spider-Man and yeah, but I know exactly what you mean. Like there's room, there's still room for improvement. There's room for like, you know, cause it isn't side content. If you can guarantee it's going to happen, yeah. like it's, it's, it's worth doing. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, I, I will also say just cause I, d- I don't know if there's an obvious place to talk about, you know, as, as we're talking about the city, um, it looks, it's an unbelievably good looking game. Um, that city, uh, like I thought, I'd sort of seen everything that they had to sort of say. Like visually, I was, I had, you know, I had a certain thing in mind of like, well, you know, New York on PS4, it's about as you know, that looks about as looks about as good as it's gonna get. But like, like you know, just the draw distance of it and everything. You know, when you're up really high and you look down and you can see all the individual cars driving around and like make out all the individual windows and stuff. Like it's, 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 it's like one of the one of the few this generation games where i have been like holy shit that just looks unbelievably good yeah i had a moment where when like i think miles is pinging back towards sandman at the start and then firing past about like i don't know 18 skyscrapers on its way to you know a, right. like a godzilla sized monster where my ps5 just crashed and i was like yeah fair enough you know like that would <laughs> there's like a lot going on there like that's that's plausible to me that that would like push you to your you probably limit. gave up you're you a big hit those shield guys anymore so it was just like i'm just gonna turn this uh, off and put him out his misery yeah uh, go fuck yourself dave <laughs> see now people just get like a real idea of me and dave's real life dynamic from listening to this podcast i wouldn't tell like simon cardi that for example like just to be very clear tell um, simon parkin to go fuck himself <laughs> well uh it depends how much our podcast rivalry um intensifies in the coming years matthew <laughs> Well, uh, the game yeah. is beautiful, so, right? But don't the teeth look fucking weird? Like that, that, I didn't, I didn't know. I thing, can't I'll help, like especially Harry. Whenever he, it was just, it's just these giant pegs inside his mouth that are just too big for it, and it just really, it's like, it's like early DreamWorks animation. That's teeth, man. You're describing yeah. teeth. No, 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 no. I'm describing like Shrek's teeth inside a head that's like half the size. Oh fuck's sake! And you, you're the one who called this a ten out of ten, Dave. And now I'm you're like, gonna knock it down for the quality of teeth. Oh, it's a. It's a nine out of ten, but in the review column at the end, in the negatives box, it just says one negative. Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> you fucked it, guys. Oh, I hope one of them's listening, and then there's just going to be a concerted effort to fix the teeth for next time. You know, Matthew, did you? Am I right in thinking you're you're a big thirty FPS head in um, your next gen games? Right? Is that the same? Did you do the I'm same a thing? Fa- I'm a, I'm a fa- yeah, I'm a fidelity head. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Maybe the teeth look better when you played it because it had like Rachel's yeah. teeth or something. You can see their know, faces but, um... reflected in each one. It just, <laughs> it just, it, if, yeah, on that, it feels incredibly responsive at thirty. It just feels, it feels nice to play. The same with Horizon. Like, and, and once once you've got used to it, uh, when you switch it into performance, you just see the detail drop out of it a little enough to bother you. So yeah, yeah. that's that's um, what it is. 
this is my fault for working on PC game mode. If I'd just fucking stuck on console mags, I never would have cared about 60 oh, FPS. Poison my I, brain. I found when I played it on performance mode and switched to one of the costumes like from Across the Spider-Verse or whatever, and it has like the uh, the, the sort of like um, stop motion, not stop motion, but you know, that animated style of, of um, animations. It made me feel really sick because having like the, the sort of like incredible frame rate uh mixed with like this jerky character moving around in combat it just made my stomach turn i got really nauseous i had to switch back to another costume it's a really bizarre <laughs> wow thing. okay there's some again another one for your minus column in yeah. your 10 out of shrek, you, shrek teeth and and puke costume. <laughs> 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 oh dear um okay so i think there's an interesting discussion to be had about length here so you can beat the story in under 20 hours i think i'm i must be like in the third act where i am now and it's it has ignited a a tiny bit of a debate i guess about what you know it's a 70 pound game what value do you get out of it i think people are like finishing all the content in the game in around 25 hours something like that so i don't think there's any way this game would be better if it was longer personally like it, even from what i've played so far i think there's a finite number of ideas a finite number of times they can sort of play those ideas yes there are things they could have done with the side content maybe to make it make that give that like a more compelling sort of crescendo more boss fights that kind of stuff but generally speaking i think this year in particular we're all pretty grateful to have a game that's around 20 hours or less to finish matthew what do you make of the length discussion around this game yeah, I mean, dumb. Uh, I I, th- I think it's I think it's really well judged. I think the balance of length to quality is 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 just right. Um, you know, I said before with the map, I think it's I think it's one of the better judged examples of like the amount of content. Like Sp- Spider Man, Spider Man One got to a point where I was like, "Fuck it, please, I just want this to finish." I don't know how long that game is compared to this, but like. I just didn't have any of those problems with this. I, you know, I I enjoyed it all from start to finish. Where Spider Man One got to a point where I was like, I'm not doing any of that. Like the third act, I was like, just just fucking just do it now. Get it over and done with. Get me to the last boss. This doesn't have status welcome. You know, for whatever reasons, it, it, it just works. If I like, I mean, this is this is probably a side note, and you know, I'd, like I want to get into spoilery stuff for you, Sam. If, like, I, I do wonder if like. I do think compared to the rest of the story, the Venom stuff is a little rushed. Like, I don't, I, I feel like it just sort of happens quite yeah. quickly. And then you're like, oh, that was that. Considering the build up to it and like how big Venom has been in like the promotion for this game and the fact they got like Tony Dodd to do it, like it didn't actually do much at all. And it's quite surprising how fast it accelerates towards the ending. Maybe people are thinking like, maybe that's factoring into some of this sense of like, Oh, it's too short. It's like maybe the, the maybe the story is a little a little rushed right at the end. But Venom, um, outside of that, I was going to say Venom is the third act I, villain. Like that's that's when the third act kicks off. But it's but it's like it, it has a similar. It's weird. It actually has a similar structure to the third one, where to, to the first one, where like you know it 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 feels like the stakes are raised in the third act that you are encouraged to hurry through it. It's like, we've got a big problem now, you've got to go and solve it. So even though you can go and fuck around and do all the other stuff, narratively it feels quite unsatisfying to do that. So uh, maybe it's, maybe it's you know, maybe it's exactly what they intended, that you'd, you'd speed through that ending. But, um, like, that narrative quibble aside, um, this has exactly the amount of stuff I want from one of these kind of games um it's just so much fun throughout like i, I was I, I didn't i didn't not enjoy any of it you know hmm. yeah what about you dave how do you feel about the the length side of that do you agree with matthew on that yeah i totally agree i mean you know i don't want to be another 
person on a podcast talking about their kids incessantly but um you know I, that was that was a dig at the uh, big picture rather than uh, <laughs> any particular people <laughs> <laughs> they're allowed to talk i know i'm only i don't think they listen uh but i you know it's hard to find time to play games a lot of the time and so i appreciate when a narrative is is you know pretty tight and uh, i can get it done within you know 20 to 30 hours to be honest i games that go beyond that i, I struggle to 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 get through before i want to play the next thing um but yeah in this game's case yeah i think that it's it's a well structured story i think once you're about where you are sam uh it doesn't hold up it's a bit of a you know set piece set piece set piece set piece end kind of kind of deal and um i i i think the 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 pacing of it is just sublime it's just fantastic and to to matthew's point it is weird how little venom is in it um and i probably and i did wonder why they even put him in any of the marketing instead of just leaving it for a surprise but i guess as soon as you get a black suit spider-man then you know you you, you kind of right. know what's going to be coming so they they, they might as well have you know le- leaned into it but um but yeah I, I i think it's great and and the variety in it by having miles in it as well so you're sort of you're, you've basically got two stories that are running in parallel to each other keeps things constantly interesting that as you know venom turns up pretty late into it but you're getting new villains uh coming into the story um, it doesn't feel like you're just like in the first game. I think you were just constantly just going back and having a, another conversation with Doctor Octopus before he, well, um, you know, before he turns into Doctor Octopus, and so it was just like this slow build up to the inevitable climax there. Whereas this was constantly <clears throat> evolving the stories in in a lot more interesting ways. I felt with more dramatic turns on a more regular basis. So for that mm. reason, you don't, um, yeah, like you don't feel that sort of. Okay, let's just get our way to the ending. It it didn't feel like there was any uh, any fat to this. It, it was it's so lean. Hmm. Symbiote powers are cool. I mean, they don't, they kind of like replicate the skill set you've already got a little bit, but like the feel of them is a lot nastier. And I I I, I think that really I, works and gives the the game a nice. I shot really in the like, and I don't know if you noticed this, Matthew, but the music changes as well as you explore the city, as you become as as Peter sort of succumbs to the oh. symbiote more and more through the story. Like the the sort of Raimi style str- strings that you that you hear a lot of as you're as you're sort of you know making those great swings through uh, Manhattan, like it, there's like this darker tinge that comes to them, and he, and these other sort of sounds that start creeping in as as he becomes more right. aggressive and sort of you know becomes part of uh, part of the hive, as it were. Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't 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 necessarily jump out to me, but that's um, yeah. I mean, it's that that like kind of level of detail that you do expect from these productions um i did actually have a question as people who are a bit more spider-man savvy than i about like how you felt uh the symbiote stuff kind of compared to other tellings of that story uh. because like spider-man 3 the venom stuff is is quite rubbish <laughs> um a sort of understatement like cause it feels like a story that maybe needs like the length of a game to kind of do it justice like it's not something you can do in two hours because it's kind of a bit of a gradual change that you have to deal with i think the part of it i really like the most is the fact that it's introduced via the osborns that that the harry kind of like sickness element is something i don't think i've seen before in like other media and so the idea that he turns up and he's got these powers initially at least because you know they've used this alien thing to basically like stop his illness 
is quite interesting because you know there are no goblins still in this spider-man universe yet they've got right. this venom power first and i to be honest i always consider this like quite a messy associate this with quite a messy era of spider-man comics that looked amazing but the writing was terrible and that's kind of like how i sort of like felt about that sort of like 90s um sort of like the coming of venom todd mcfarlane stuff like truly some of the nicest looking comics you'll ever see but the writing was quite bad compared to the naughty spider-man comics i really got into but um Mm. i think as well like i think it's 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 a tough it's a tough one to make compelling because it's not really a villain character at the center of it it's all about kind of like corrupting peter and you can take that to some interesting places i think this game does a good job of of that of like pushing his morality a little bit further and also you get miles perspective on that and mj's perspective on that so i think it's pretty successful it's it's definitely among the the better versions of that that i've seen i think it's the best Um, adaption of it for sure like tying it to his best friend and um you know having them sort of have this sort of connectivity via the symbiote as well i think um and the way they both interact with it and respond to it i i think that's a really smart storytelling choice there is something quite funny that they do and again of avoiding spoilers but like the the symbiote like it, it basically it seems that one of the, one of its side powers or or how they represent it in this particular telling or this particular game is that it it just makes it makes everyone become like very frank about what annoys them <laughs> And there's there's lots of stuff, you know, you know, a couple of people have 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 the symbiote suit on them, and it basically just makes them kind of like unload their kind of domestic quarrels <laughs> on people, <laughs> which I, I like. I quite like that as a, you know, it's quite, it's, but you know, it's, it's there's something kind of a little bit silly, a little bit kind of cute about it in a way, but like it it just makes you know all this stuff which is sort of simmering under the surface with peter parker you know like he can't pay his bills or whatever and it's like finally i have the confidence to say like no one appreciates me and i deserve more money and all this kind of stuff and uh i you know i I don't know if that's part of like venom the symbiote's like whole deal in in this world but i i i liked that that yeah. sort of, uh, bit also, of it. that's the Thames version of it you know i don't want to clean the dishes kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. there's also like the um you know like the the uh podcast and the radio that you the, the, like tune into every now and again there's the uh, podcast host is it danica it comes up yeah, yeah she, the danica she's a, she's a tough she is a tire, but she's, she, once you get the symbiote suit she's like are we sure this new spider-man's doing good like, I'm really scared, guys. What's going on there? I'm like, what? He's punching people slightly differently to how he was punching people before? Like, what's the what's the deal here? There's literally right. nothing he's doing differently huh. other than, like, webbing them with goo, you know, and maybe like, her, you know, screaming in a bit more of an aggressive her, tone. Her podcast is fucking rubbish. <laughs> it's the idea that you would listen to something. It's, like, whatever the exact opposite of Evergreen is. Like, it's so <laughs> reactive to what she can see out of the window. Yeah. And then, like, you'd never go back to that bank of episodes and listen to it. Like, it's just te- <laughs> I just do not see what the value of that Where podcast is. is. That this thing, episode like, will live Jonah's an ent- Yeah. <laughs> Jonah is at least an entertainer. That's the thing. You know, like, he's really, like, uh, whenever he, his, his is on. Like, I like, there was a joke in Miles Morales about how Peter's hate listening to... J. Jonah Jameson, like Miles, is like, why is he listening to this on purpose? This guy slags him off, but I quite like that. Especially it's, when the, the alternative was the Danica podcast. That's why he was. Um, I, he was she's a damn sick of I think in game po- podcasts are now, they're the new version of like 
rolling your eyes at in-game magazine covers <laughs> where you used to look at a magazine and be like oh that no one no one who's ever touched a magazine designed that asset it just looks terrible it's the same as that like, they just do not sound like real podcasts well no they're like 10 yeah. seconds long like, to start off like how how is this how is this being released what format is it, it? should be it should be a 50 minute i'm ranking the spider-man <laughs> or whatever and then i'd be like yes i'm into this i would listen to that in-game asset for 50 minutes yeah yeah, exactly. And yeah, they'd have a good guest star on as well. It's just a one-person podcast. Like, you're not Karina Longworth, love. You can't really pull this off, I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... You it's, won't it's... remember this. <laughs> There's also this thing where, like, it starts, and I'm like, right, if I could get to a side activity stat, then it will turn <laughs> off, and that would be good. <laughs> oh, dear. Now I feel bad for dunking on that uh, a little bit too much, but uh, no, it's yeah. fine. Dan, I can think that's sucks. how people listen yeah, to this, uh, driving to their next destination. If I get there quick enough, I can turn this off. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, like the guys who have said, like they're playing this in the car with their wives. I'm like, I bet they cannot wait to get off the fucking motorway. Like, you know what I mean? Like, can we stop at the service point. station? Okay, why? Just, I just, just stop. <laughs> just need to get out for like 50 minutes while this keeps playing. Um, okay, so. Last question I wanted to ask. The story does seem to be setting up a third game. I've not finished it because I'm pathetic as established and was watching Silence. Uh, Andrew Garfield having a tough time in Japan. Um, so how are you both feeling about the prospect of that? I guess there's a few ways they could go with it. Dave, you obviously wanted to bring in 18 different, like increasingly contrived cameos, um, much like your beloved MCU movies Give it all to do. Um, but there's also, the, there's also the, the potential that they, they expand this as a team, Spider-Man team proposition with the Spider-Verse kind of characters. That's something they could do too uh matthew i suppose before dave um overwhelms us with like um sort of like fandom wiki sort of like stuff <laughs> what where would you like a third game to go uh I, I mean the end of the game is quite explicit about what the third game will be right um in in terms of like oh they're gonna do this thing if you know um clearly uh yeah i i, I see it. i wouldn't actually object to a little bit more expanding of the cast i think i think the end of this game sets itself up for like there could be there could be other characters in the mix or there might be room for other people in the mix you know like they're dealing with a slightly older peter barker and the idea he could like stand aside let someone else come in maybe um like i don't know if i like i don't know if i'd actually object it like i quite like the cadence of like big spider-man little miles morales game that kind of like introduce that character properly big spider-man game like even if they were to do another like in between game to introduce another person to the mix of this like i wouldn't hate that like i've, I've enjoyed what they've done with it so far and it, it it feels like i trust the the arc that they've 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 clearly kind of planned out i i you know i like the trip so far that i kind of fundamentally trust them with wherever they're going to take us next which is not a very interesting take no, but uh, <laughs> you know like in a way that i don't with like the makers of the marvel tv cinematic universe whatever that's called you know like i, I don't trust those people um you know <laughs> wish they'd stop um, <laughs> these people these people they're okay that they have my permission to continue well that is the thing i think it's it does a really good job of making you it actually made me excited about bits of the mcu that i like switch my brain off to because i've been numbed by like two and three star content again deep as you 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 but, did say you were um, gonna watch loki season two like you said you, you yeah i will to me that 
you, you can't break I, that i have four months left of disney plus so that feels like something i should tick off just to get my money's worth they spent loads of money on it i guess i should watch it that's kind of how i see it really a little bit but you have also said it's good dave and i still trust your opinion of course value your opinion hence why pretty on, hey, i so, gave m-man quantumania like one star you know I'm, I, I don't love them all okay good well I, I appreciate that but what about you dave as someone who is more tuned into the marvel stuff where do you want to see what do you want to see from um you know this game or even future it, games it's a weird one because this this does feel so complete in a certain way so comprehensive i think the way it, it ends as well is is sort of almost like a, a a sort of nice um farewell to to these characters if it had to be but obviously it does set up a bunch of stuff for a, for a third game and i don't know it, it feels like it what they do suggest is the next part feels a little too similar to what kind of happened in one of the previous games without spoiling anything that i was like okay well what I, it's hard to envision what would be different about it this time um right so i'm again i have complete faith in somniac like both of you that they're they'll they have a story in mind that'll uh be both compelling and and unique to um to these characters but um it, it's hard to imagine like if, if i had it my way like complete fan dream and, and it's not just like bring tony stark in and captain america as much as much as i kind of love that um but i you know go into a different dimension with it like take these characters out of their comfort zone into somewhere new and then you know um set the story around that where they you know that it's not the usual bag of tricks that they're they're drawing from and you know they're they're in it, you know it's it's this unfamiliar place you know you could i mean i don't know take a leaf out spider verse book drag them into you know the uh into a different century and uh, have to battle there i don't know but uh, it's hard to see with all the everything they've done with all these characters the only missing again i don't want to spoil it but there's like a key villain that's a missing piece you know that you mentioned earlier uh which is the green goblin like bringing him in as a main villain like would that be satisfying enough for a third game on its own i'm not sure kind of feels like you know they've done as much as they can do scale wise with all of the villains in you know that, that spidey has to date you know i just feel like it, it's difficult to do a next step and make it and make it feel like it's it's a a significant um you know uh step above what what they've already done I'm rambling a bit, but I think you is get my point. No, it's um, is it who who is considered sort of canonically or or just amongst the fans who is like definitive Spider-Man villain? Like who is who is his Joker? It is Green Goblin. Really. It is Green Goblin. Yeah, right. yeah. But like the thing but is that, that they've isn't done that a little like based on a per- like for me, it's always been Doctor Octopus versus Goblin. Well, I. Well, I think it's just because the initial sort of like run of Spider-Man comics by Stanley and Steve Ditko, you have like Norman Osborn and like Harry Osborn woven into it so deeply, and then and then like I guess what I think as well because the Green Goblin is responsible for the death of Gwen Stacy a little later, like that that feels like the defining moment of the character in, yeah, at least true, in that true. form. But the thing is, they they've done so much random shit with Norman Osborn since then. I think he's like had iron man armor and he's been leading the dark avengers all kinds of random bullshit that happens when comics have to like tell stories for like basically you know 60 70 years so it's a bit um it's a bit kind of like all over the place um in terms of where those characters go but i think historically yeah green goblin you feel them you feel them stepping around that as well like they 
they it feels like they by starting with an older peter parker not showing you the death of uncle ben all that stuff and by not having the green goblin they that it's restraint on purpose it's like you know it's resisting doing the obvious thing so yeah so answer your question matthew yeah yeah i just I did, yeah I mean, it, was, it was a genuine question of not not really knowing of like is is there a natural like well of course this is what you'd be building towards that's mm, it i don't uh, think there's a very yeah there isn't like a, even that like big you know it's not really a spoiler to say it has post credits and credit scenes like the first game did and i think miles morales did as well i don't think either of those necessarily point to a very obvious direction to me at least okay yeah it's tricky because it's not like having you know a, a dude going around on a glider lobbing bombs at you is necessarily like material where you're like oh yeah i can't wait to play that third game so yeah <laughs> it, it, you know it's, it is tricky it's, it must be hard for them to figure out because they are trying to subvert your expectations so uh i mean maybe the wolverine game will give us some clue of like you know maybe where insomniac is going more broadly maybe they are pushing towards i don't know building their own kind of marvel universe i'd hate for them to be like locked into just making these games but also they do such a good job with them they're such high-end blockbusters that maybe it would be the end of the world to have an x-men game one day or x-men spider-man team up is is there much x-men spider-man crossover stuff uh i mean like it's like a moderate amount yeah i mean definitely there's definitely some a bunch of spider-man people love that combo um yeah like it's it's definitely like i think that i honestly think the thing that unites them is that they are they were the big 90s marvel properties you know like x-men right. and spider-man they had animated series they were like absolutely massive and the character designs from the 90s were incredibly iconic and i think like that i think that's that's probably partly what drew you know insomniac to those characters would be my guess because they're generationally that's that would make sense right so mm. yeah um yeah so i don't know if they've got like it's not like you would read an x-men comic and then every day every week spider-man would turn up it's not quite that sort of deal but they're, they're as closely connected as any other pair of characters really and they are like the right. big hitters well, well, Sam, so, yeah. i'll ask yeah. you again because you're a comic book dweeb um the what are the big spider-man events like what are the big story arcs for him that haven't been explored in the games that would likely this the the next chapter be gosh it's it's quite hard to figure out because like if you go you know historically like i say like the death of um captain stacy and then gwen stacy is uh is a big one there is like the clone saga which they don't want to go they won't want to go anywhere near that um because it's obviously it's very very confusing where they replace peter parker with ben riley not a very well received storyline but from a time where people were reading tons of spider-man comics you've got like in recent years things like um superior spider-man where doc ock takes over spider-man's brain which sounds dumb but that run of comics was actually incredible uh really really good um that would be quite interesting but they've kind of done villain spidey a little bit in this game so i don't know if you, you want to do anything like that um you've got like him getting married to mj and then that marriage being destroyed but that was kind of like a comic book politics move at marvel is very poorly received they broke up this marriage and it stopped them from telling certain types of stories which was seen as a bit of a shame by fans I'm trying to think other stuff really like there's like craven's last hunts a pretty famous storyline spider-man no more where he walks away from the um the the role which is what they do in spider-man 2 the raimi film i don't know it like feels um, like a lot of it's it kind of keeps going like in one form or another within these set of games like the only other like big spider-man stories i think of are just crossover ones like civil war you know where where he's like an integral part of a much larger marvel crossover thing but yeah yeah, un- unmasked Spider-Man might be something they could do, but um, I don't know. It's yeah, it feels like again that the the films have the films have done that too, yeah. haven't they? Like that's the whole point of um, No Way Home. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's not that obvious, but that's kind of like what is good about Spider-Man. At the same time, he is malleable because there are so many takes that you can 
you can live around those you don't have to do the thing that everyone expects you to do like it's you don't owe your fans anything because they can just go and find an interpretation that gives them the thing they want if they you know if they're really looking for that so if they feel like deprived of goblin related characters there's plenty of material out there for them so yeah um now i'm rambling but yeah good stuff all right good well i think we're agreed anyway that this is a, a very good game um matthew is this good do you think it's gonna get anywhere near your top 10 this year uh it probably it'll probably make my top 10 yeah okay interesting well uh yeah I'll, I'll see how i feel at the end of it good stuff all right well thank you so much for coming on the podcast dave is there anything you want to plug where people can find you and your marvel rankings oh yeah you know you can find me on on x.com uh at, at dave scarborough that's where i uh occasionally tweet from gosh do, is it still called tweeting mm-hmm. when it's called x that's very confusing yeah. Oh, we've gone into this before. Like we're not we're not prepared to debate that the whole X thing. But um yes, people can find you there, which yeah. is good. And I have appreciated having you on. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. <laughs> you can follow the podcast at Backpage Pod. You can support us at Patreon, patreon.com slash backpage pod. I get extra podcasts each month. Matthew, where can people find you on social media? On Twitter, I'm Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. On Blue Sky, I'm Mr. Basil Pesto, no underscore. Yeah, great. And uh, yeah, a back page pod on Blue Sky as well if you want to follow us on there. Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter and Blue Sky. Let's get out of here. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.